Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. You're wonderful like that. So for anyone who's listening and can't see us, I'm Gender Master, and I use they, them pronouns. And if my guest will introduce herself. My name is Jocelyn. I use she, her pronouns. And I am the author of the Gender Dysphoria Bible. It's such a great resource. I love it so much. So just a little get to know you question before we dive into this incredible resource you've made. How has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Oh, okay. I'll just tell you my, my, my short summary. If I had ever at any point in my life, especially in my childhood, been told that it was possible that I wasn't the boy that everyone believed me to have been born as, I would have known from the age of five that I was actually a girl. But unfortunately, I grew up in a religious cult that told me over and over again that you are a boy, you have to be a boy, you have to act like a boy, you have to marry a woman. That's that my life was a fixed course. And it wasn't, yeah, I grew up believing that and thinking that I had to be that way, despite how uncomfortable it made me. And I was, it was when I was nine years old that I first saw the actress Carolyn Costi on Donahue. She was doing a press junket trying to drum up support for the recent UK ruling that had taken away her legal status as a woman. That was the first time that I, I had ever seen that someone could not be the assigned gender that they were given. And then unfortunately, five years later, I stumbled onto Ray Blanchard's Autogynophilia by way of a college textbook and convinced myself that I was just a cis man with a weird fetish and the next 20 years hiding myself and then finally in 97 was read the wikipedia page on gender dysphoria and was like wow this sounds so familiar so relatable and then i read the diagnostic criteria and i checked off five out of six wow and i was like oh and suddenly realized that i had been lied to my whole life and wow. two days later i came out to my wife and told her i had to transition and here I am. That's amazing. My, so my wife is a trans woman and she didn't come out even to herself until she was 39. Mm -hmm. Like it was a, it wasn't, there's a lot of people who in sort of the millennial or Gen Z generation who are coming out in their twenties or teens, but mm -hmm. that was not her experience. No, it, we, this phrase is such a loaded phrase, but we definitely had a transgender tipping point where like awareness following the WPATH reorganization in 2011 and then the DSM changing in 2013, like suddenly tons and tons of people were realizing, oh, this is a thing I can actually have. Mm -hmm. I am valid. And so now we do have this entire generation that was gaslit into believing they had no choice. And now they're, they're, they're seeing, oh, I can be who I am. And I can come out and, and exist and then 
so much history that has led up to us culminating in this place of finally having some acceptance. While I have you here, will you tell us about this fabulous resource you've created? And I can switch to the scene where we can look at it a little bit. I was first handed this by a mutual friend of ours who also introduced us, but I'm not going to name them because I haven't asked them if I could talk about <laughs> that piece on stream, so I'm not going to name them. But I I remember reading this when it was first handed to me months and months ago, and I was looking through it, and somehow I got to the, the managed dysphoria page, and I read the bottom of it, and I checked everything on that list, and I went, Oh shit. Because I was non-binary, mm -hmm. had been out as non-binary for years and years, like four or five years, and was still having dysphoria. And I was mm -hmm. like, is this like current events with the pandemic? Is this what's going on? Why am I all of these things? And and I started T four months ago. So thanks for making this thing so I could realize being non-binary without HRT wasn't enough for me. You are so welcome. I've had a lot of, we're going to get into that later, but I, I have had so many wonderful stories from people who have read through this and, and found uh, so much acceptance and so much relatability in it. Yeah. This is the list. I found it. Intensely investing large amounts of time in hobbies, long hours spent at work, chain binging movies, TV shows, or books, spending all idle time playing video games around social media, obsessively cleaning one's living space, sleeping lots of sleeping. I was like, who? came in my house <laughs> who came in my house and watched me for weeks and decided to write a list of all the shit I do <laughs> like, what? and I was exactly the same way I wrote that list from my own experience <laughs> I heavily divested myself from my life by just absorbing into anything that would distract me I was working 10 hour days I'm a software engineer so I was putting in 10 hour days of development time just mm -hmm. so that I wasn't thinking about my life yeah it's seriously this I can't tell you how many times I've returned to this list. I was a guest on a friend's stream talking about gender and I actually had my friend pull this page of this website up and show it to the 30 or 40 people that were hanging out on stream that day <laughs> because I was nice. like, you're not going to believe this list y'all. Oh my glob. So anyways, but we can back up a little to the beginning <laughs> of the things. So let's see. So this is called the Gender Dysphoria Bible, which is up here on the right. But it's also that's Gender Dysphoria FYI, which is great. So the, I love both of them. The, tell us about the name. How did you come up with the name? Uh, the Gender Dysphoria Bible was the first name that I came up with. But unfortunately, genderdysphoria.com is already owned. Mm -hmm. And pretty much every other domain name was already owned. So, But I just came up with it because... Okay, so here... Let me tell the story of how this thing developed. Originally, this started as just as a blog post. I was doing a post because about how I was very frustrated that we were constantly in the community so focused on physical dysphoria. Anytime you go, any discussions on Facebook or Twitter or in Discord servers, you see people say, I don't have dysphoria, but, and then they'll describe something that's dysphoria. And, yeah. and just so many like social dysphorias and various other things that just, the, uh, we weren't describing this properly. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to write out about like how there are so many other ways the dysphoria presents beyond just that discomfort over your body. Yeah. And 
And so I started writing about that. And that kind of, that started out with just like the general outline of points four, five, six, and seven, and then nine were like the, were my initial lists that I started with. And then as I was typing this out, I was like, oh shit, this is 6,000 words. This is big for one one blog post. So yeah. then I was like, okay, I'll turn it into a multi-page blog post. And then that... So then I, I had to actually rewrite portions of my blog to support multi-page posts. And then I was still writing. And then I wrote the gender euphoria part. And then I wrote about diagnosis. And then I did a bunch of research and wrote the history part. And this thing just kept growing and growing. And finally, I reached a place where I was like, okay, it's got enough content here. I can release this, release this quote-unquote blog post that was already 10 pages long. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did. And it, it originally was published and it was very successful and people received it very well. At the time I was doing most of my, I didn't have my Facebook page yet. So I was doing most of my promotion through Instagram mm-hmm. and that post was very successful. But I looked at it and I realized this needs to be something more than just a blog post. Mm-hmm. Like this is something powerful that could be very useful. And so then I started working on building out a whole site for it, an independent site just to hold this content. And the name Bible just came because as I was accumulating all of this this stuff, I was like, this is like a definitive guide on dysphoria. And in my literary history, whenever somebody creates a definitive guide on, say, the lore or a concept, it's often referred to as a Bible. For example, I'm a big... Halo fan. Mm -hmm. And I know that the, I can't remember his name right now, but the man who was principal, Joe Staten, who was principal developer on Halo, had written his own Bible of all of the lore surrounding Halo. So I was like, this, that just felt like the right name for it to call it this Bible, this definitive edition. But unfortunately, in my quest for to find a domain name for it, I couldn't find anything that fit for that. Mm -hmm. But gender dysphoria. FYI and .wtf were both available. And I finally decided FYI was the better choice. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious that WTF was available. Oh, it, it, it almost became gender dysphoria what WTF, but and then I, I was like, okay. It. Yeah. Oh yeah, nice. the, the domain expired last in, in the last six months, but for at first it was redirecting to .fyi. That's so fun. And then I just thought, okay, so we've got gender dysphoria FYI and I was like let's throw that's on the front of it mm-hmm. and then I, I had this pictured idea of oh a conversation where someone's describing it and then somebody could just paste it and say hey that's gender dysphoria FYI nice I love that have you ever encountered the link to your website in the wild places like oh, on reddit or something Um, people are sending me it all the time are sending examples of it in the wild I have my own discord server and the people in there Every so often we'll spot it, usually on Reddit. It's shown up in egg IRL. There's been actual memes yeah. about the Bible. And uh, just, it always makes me grin ear to ear whenever I see it. It's so great. I I remember, I saw it in the wild somewhere. And and I sent it to our mutual friend. And friend was like, that's the first time I've seen that in the wild too. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I'm grinning so hard my cheeks are starting to hurt. I know that feeling. <laughs> it means I'm having a good time. Okay, you've there's ways you have maybe already answered this question, but maybe by asking it we'll find additional answers. 
what need in the trans community did you see that caused you to create the Gender Dysphoria Bible? Information. We just needed better communication and more authoritative sources. There, there's several things that like, things that I saw sort of cargo cult, quote unquote, knowledge that was passed around, especially on Reddit, that eventually I learned was just completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of cases where I was like, okay, I need to try to bust some of these myths. One that was very common was this this belief that testosterone was just stronger than estrogen. And then that's why trans masks don't need an estrogen blocker, but trans femmes need a testosterone blocker. Completely false. Absolutely completely false. And and I actually incorporated that into the Bible. There's a section in the, the second puberty 101 guide about explaining why you don't need an estrogen blocker because it's on the sidebar, I believe. Let's scroll down towards the bottom. Keep going. Okay, maybe it's on the next page. Estrogenic puberty? Because I made a parting shot at us at Reddit in the in the dialogue. Wait, that might have... Scroll back up. That might have been it. Author's note. Nope, that's not it. No, that was Spiro, me talking about spironolactone. Spiro Hampen's hampers working memory yep cortisol whoa Whoa. i also love that you mentioned adhd so much it my adhd changed so extensively going on hrt how did it change for those who are listening and can't read it in some ways it got worse in other ways it got better Mm -hmm. it's that's the thing is i can't say it, it definitively got worse or that it definitively got better. It just changed. In some ways, I do struggle more now, but also a lot of that is because I'm not depersonalized all the time. Yeah. So, and also the managed dysphoria aspect of it came into this where I was so zero focused on things. I had this drive to pay attention to other things. So I put so much time into my work. Yeah. I was doing so much coding all the time. Now that drive is gone. And so now my ADHD is like, nah, we don't need to do this. Let's do something else. Yeah. So you're like less good at capitalism now because you're a person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. I've noticed that when I first started streaming a year ago, so by the time this recording comes out, I'll have had my stream anniversary a a week or two ago. In during this recording, it's next week. So it's right around mm-hmm. now is my, my one year. For the first six months or so, I was hyper fixated, 10, 12 hour days, like sleeping four hours a night, doing yep. all my energy into overlays and bots and all the things. And since starting testosterone, I'm much more likely to just be a person and vibe now. <laughs> Estrogen and testosterone both have different effects on, because mm-hmm. ADHD is entirely wrapped up in dopamine handling. Hmm. dopamine production and the way that your body receives dopamine. So estrogen increases dopamine production. Testosterone amplifies dopamine reception. So depending upon different functions within your body, and every single person is different, of course, switching to estrogen could make your ADHD be worse. It could make it better. Switching to testosterone could make your ADHD worse or make it better. It's a crapshoot. You just have to see what happens. Is there a comorbidity between being trans and being neurodivergent? Comorbidity? That is a whole podcast worth of of content. It's not a comorbidity. What it is, neurodivergent people are more likely to 
consider things that neurotypical people aren't, and they're more likely to shuck off societal pressures and cultural expectations than neurotypicals are. So it's not that trans, that being neurodivergent makes people trans or that being trans makes you neurodivergent. There's just a correlation because being neurodivergent makes it easier to be trans. Okay. I hear that. And that makes sense to me. Yeah. I, so when I was still cis, I wasn't, but when I thought I was still (laughs) cis, but a lesbian, I feel like I only got along with some lesbians. I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. I got along with all the lesbians. Now that I'm trans and realize that I'm neurodiverse, neurodivergent, I feel like I get along with most trans people now. It's an interesting Uh thing. And I think it's because our brains are similar with being autistic or ADHD or both or something else like neurodivergent adventure time. Oh, I have definitely noticed that (laughs) I vibe so much better with other neurodivergents than I do with neurotypicals. Like the, there's just something, our communication styles sync up better. Like we're able to talk about things easier and there's no hidden, there's no language happening outside of what's actually being said. There is a mouse on your face right now and it's driving me nuts. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I, and, and that's the funny thing too about transition was that as I like to say, I killed off the big monster in the room and suddenly all the little monsters came out to play. And I realized I was ADHD. I realized I was autistic. I realized I had an anxiety disorder. I realized I had all these different problems that I had never recognized before. And it's hilarious because pre-transition, I walked around saying, oh, I'm totally normal. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. But, and then because I was able to recognize them, I was able to treat them. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, now I have a stimulant to help with my ADHD. Now I have an SSRI to help with my anxiety attacks. Now mm-hmm. I've gone through EMDR to process all the mountain loads of trauma that I have from growing up neurodivergent and trans in a religious cult. Yeah. So yeah, all totally. these things that I've been able to better myself just because I went through transition and, and finally felt comfortable. Well, and like going to therapy is part of the W guidelines. Yeah. You get surgeries if you want them. There's all these requirements. And so I actually find that trans people who are, if they're doing a medical transition, which you don't have to medically transition to be trans, you can be trans and do no HRT and no medical anything. Right. Precursor. I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to gatekeep at all. And when people are going through all that therapy and stuff, it's, it's nice because then you eventually have some healed trans people. And and also to add to that, <laughs> in so the United great. in the United States, you also don't have to do therapy to ter- get medical transition. Now you do for most surgeries, but for HRT, you have informed yeah. consent, and that doesn't yeah. require any kind of therapy. But you still should get a therapist because, oh my God, what a difference it makes! Yeah, There's, especially it's a very special when, type of trauma. Yes, there is. And there's new traumas that develop through the course of transition. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing that my therapist said is the real reason that she believes all trans people should have a therapist is especially trans femmes is dealing with the changes that happen as your privilege shifts. Mm. Because that experience of losing that male passing privilege is traumatic as fuck. Sorry. That's, it, that's uh, worth one of our PG-13 swears. 
she was like, this is always the thing that I have to help people with the most is just that first culture shock when that privilege disappears and uh, and you're now faced with your new reality and it, and it sinks in. Oh, God, what a just, yeah, the weight of it. Yeah. And I experienced it, too, even though I was fully aware of my male passing privilege and was fully expecting it to go away. It was still a shock when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in the process of switching from a therapist who happens to be a lesbian to a therapist who happens to be a trans man. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the difference between working with the two. There's nothing wrong with my current therapist. She's great. I just was like, maybe. You want somebody a little bit closer to your own experience. Maybe this, yeah. And like lesbian would have worked great for me a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's just, I'm going further down the path and that's, I don't get trans vibes from her. I don't think she's an egg or anything. Yes. But I actually, I am... somewhere on a website that is no longer published, maybe I'll republish it on Medium or something. Somewhere I have a little thing that I wrote about masculine of center privilege. And it's the, the reverse of what you were just talking mm-hmm. about and how as transmasculine people are being read more as guys how we just start getting privilege. Like I've been mostly, it was observing how as a, at the time as a butch lesbian or now as a transmasculine non-binary person, I don't experience the male gaze. When I'm in public, I don't get catcalled. I don't get harassed the way that women do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just don't. And my wife tells a story about the first time she was catcalled and she like went into full on Taekwondo, like eye contact, <laughs> yell at the person, chased him back across the street, scared the shit out of him, which is so great. I love my wife. <laughs> Shout out to trans capybara. But yeah, it's a thing. It's totally a thing. You're absolutely right about how when you're perceived as a, a different gender, like you have to relearn how to socialize. And what yeah. your expectations can be for socialization. Yeah, totally. Okay, so jumping back to, you were talking a little bit ago about the sources and wanting to find good sources. Can you tell us a bit more about what kind of sources you use or how you found the sources? Uh, Okay. Putting it straightforward, most of the site is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. But we're talking anecdotes across multiple generations and hundreds of people. So like when my autistic gift, my, my little autistic superpower is that I'm really good at taking lots of discontinuous information and conjoining it all together and making connections and, and analyzing things and recognizing patterns. So hanging out in trans communities like Reddit and Twitter, trans Twitter can be so amazing. It can also be horrific, but it's amazing. And, and it, less so on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram, just kept on seeing these same stories over and over again. And so over time, you just learn what people are experiencing. And so a lot of the sources for it are just all of the conversations that I've had in the last four years with people all across the spectrum of transness. And in a big piece that I tried to do is the sidebar on the site, although if you're viewing it on mobile, it just integrates them directly into the mainstream because of wits. But... I always tried to include tweets referencing what I was talking about Mm -hmm. because tweets are nice and easy to embed. So there's, there is Twitter content all throughout referencing to threads and to other people's anecdotes and to, to other conversations. And the big power that I found while writing this was that transness 
we crack eggs by finding things relatable. And so my the most important piece to me was be just being able to say, there are people out here that experience this. And if you're experiencing this too, that's probably what's going on with you. And just trying to get as as relatable as I could. So there is lots of anecdotes. I did try to link to thing to other sources and other people's descriptions. I have links to other books. I have quotations from other books. And just the problem is academia is always one to two decades behind the trans community. Yeah. So finding any kind of definitive academic research into a lot of what we experience just isn't there because they aren't caught up with it. The language that we use, if you look at the way that trans language has changed in the past decade, just the the internet has accelerated it so much. And we're using terms now that 20 years ago never were heard of. Yeah. And, And enough that it's causing a cultural rift between trans elders and the new eggs. Like, Everything is is moving very fast. And so trying to stick to definitive sources is different. It is. But I so do that's try to why get you wrote a Bible. <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'll be that source. <laughs> I love it. Create the content you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's why I like have non-binary flag is such a strong element to my overlay. It's like Right here. This right here is where you're going to get non-binary content all year round. Yep. Not just on Non-Binary Awareness Week. Like, well, my... Not just during Pride. We're queer always. <laughs> We're genderful all the time. <laughs> yes. My, my Instagram and my Facebook are both called Kirby and Trans. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because I started my Instagram. When I started it, there were no major trans plus size representations Mm-hmm. available online uh there there were no especially not in the body positive community like mm-hmm. i went out looking for other trans femmes who were as big as me but still really happy with their bodies and could show off their bodies and were successful with feeling good about themselves and i couldn't find it yeah and so i finally said you know what i'll just be the representation that i didn't have and and that's for, like for basically worth, I'm also curvy and trans, just trans. There you go. And, and I've had <laughs> I've had a few people tell me that like just me being out there made it easier for them to accept transition because there has been this prevailing notion that if you are overweight, you have to lose that weight before you can transition or you'll never look how you want to look, yeah. which is absolutely false. Yeah. And, and I'm very happy that I've been able to get out there and be that representation for people. Yeah. I've talked to people who, to my assessment, are trans eggs. And they've told me, like, I want to transition, but, or it'd be cool, but they don't want to go through, like, the ugly duckling phase. Mm-hmm. Um, or they like, oh, none of the men in my family can grow great beards, so, like, why even try? I'm not going to look how I want to mm-hmm. look, why even try? Or I'm too short to be a guy or whatever. And I know my, mm-hmm. my friends are more of the trans mask folks. So it's a different, mm-hmm. it's a slightly different perspective from the trans feminine experience. But I'm sure it's the same with trans women. I'm sure my wife oh, yeah, tell you all about it too and totally would understand and recognize all the things. Absolutely. Doubt, doubt is the mind killer. That's right. It's, uh... 
Way to Dune. It, 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 no, isn't in Dune, isn't it Fear is the Mind Killer? Yeah. But anyway, still, <laughs> solid reference. <laughs> I do love that you use tweets and social media posts from trans people talking about their experience on this resource. Like, I, I just came across this picture of uh, Brie, and I remember seeing this image months and months ago and seeing the eyes and being like, wow. Yeah. And looking at pictures of me and my wife before we started transitioning and seeing our expressions and seeing the like the mask we were wearing. Mm -hmm. Like in autism, we talk about masking and then also oh, there's yeah. masking when you're trans too. And so it's double masks, like all the yep. masks. And yeah, it's really, it's so fascinating, all this stuff. And it's funny too, because like we talk about about egg spotting, which is, of course, problematic in its own ways, but you can see dysphoria eyes. Like, like yeah. The, you can wreck, once you know what it looks like, you will see it. You will. In other people, yeah. because it, it has a distinct energy. It does. It totally does. So, one thing that my wife noticed we were reviewing the website on the couch last night so I could ask you thoughtful questions. Is this little blurb you have here at the top about how this resource is a living document and you write, its current iteration is severely lacking in AFAB narratives, non-binary, agender, and gender fluid specific dysphoria and third gender narratives. And so my question, is this still the case? And if so, if people want to contribute, how can they do that? My discord is full of a bunch of transmasculine non-binary pals and we have a handful of gender fluid folks we have a handful of two-spirit folks how do those how could we participate if we wanted to the first question there is it still true yes but not as bad as it was when i first put that notice on the page okay because it is a living document and there has been a lot of change made to it over the last God, has it been a year and a half, I think, since I launched this? It was 2019. There's a big part of it is also just, I have tried very hard in my writing to try to make sure that everything I write is as relatable to everyone as I possibly can mm -hmm. with it. So I try to make sure I'm not leaning too hard into uh, one gender description. I try to make sure that uh, I'm mixing things up and with pronoun uses when talking about somebody in a, a third person context, trying to make sure that whatever I'm describing, I have it descript described in a way that is true for everyone, unless mm -hmm. it is something that is not true for everyone. And then I explicitly say, this is not something that is, th this is something specific to trans masks or specific to trans femmes or something like that, or mm -hmm what have you. But gender fluidity is something I have absolutely no context on. I don't know what that experience is like. So writing about something that I don't know anything about is very hard. So like the biggest challenge is just I, I keep putting lines out there saying, hey, I want more writers. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the only writer on this site. Like mm -hmm. I want this to be a community effort. And that's why it's open source. And I try to make it as simple to contribute to as I can, although within the bounds of the technology stack that I've created. But I want to be able to encourage people to write to me and say, this is what my experience is like, or here's some parts of the, of this page that I thought could use a little bit more explaining this other experience. Like, mm -hmm. I want that. I just haven't been receiving it. And I've asked people That's awesome. for, for things, but it doesn't come in. Even the 
Androgen Second pu Puberty article. I wrote the Second Puberty 101 piece for trans femmes years ago. Mm -hmm. Like that original article, I think, was like 2018. And the list has continued to grow over time. And that was one where I just built it out of there and built it from what people were talking about on Reddit mostly. But, and it was very successful. People saw that and were like, oh, this is wonderful. Thank you for this. But people kept saying, when are you going to write version for, for trans men? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't have any experience with that. And I'm not in those communities. Like the, at least from my experience of this, the trans masculine community is much more tight knit than the trans femme community is. So you, the experiences don't get shared as much. People don't talk broadly about what they've gone through while starting and, and continuing on testosterone. So I couldn't get a, a good information to write it. And finally I partnered up with, I think I can't remember the name. It might be at the top of the page, uh, a trans guy who then also connected with several of his friends and got everybody together into a Google Doc. And they took the original version, the estrogen version, and just rewrote it with their own experiences of mm -hmm. starting testosterone. And that finally gave me what I needed to write this page. But there were years between that because I just couldn't get people to contribute. Yeah. I'm having the same problem with translations. I have okay. a system there mm -hmm. to do translations of the site. And I have had people who have attempted to contribute translations, but in the case, like, like I've received German, which is out of date, and I wasn't able to trans to move it out of the Word document they sent me into the site layout because I don't read German and I didn't know what where it belonged where. And then I had somebody working on a Spanish version, but they just disappeared. Like, like the, they never finished the translation. So I can't launch an unfinished translation. So I, like, I've put out call shout outs saying, hey, I need translators, please come help me. But I haven't received that response. I'm making some notes because I think there are specific people I can think of in my community. And I don't want to forget later. So I'm just writing <laughs> some things down right quick. Okay, cool. So if someone wanted to participate, is it this link here at the top? It's open source and publicly funded content and fiscal contributions are extremely welcome. So if you do content yes. thing, it takes us to GitHub. I see and this and my brain glazes over and I go, oh no, yo, of course. code, I don't know how to do the thing. And then I would quit. <laughs> There's, I think, can you scroll down to the bottom? I thought I included a, a contributing guide. But maybe, I, oh, no, I guess I haven't read it yet, read, written it yet. So, yeah, I need to write a contributing guide. That would probably help a lot, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, if there was like a Google form, like a feedback form where I could just be like, I would like this. Well, we do have, like there this. is, if you click on the issues tab, and actually the link, there's another link in the header on the site that takes you straight to issues. You can open an issue and describe what you're what you want to write about, and then I'll translate it. I'll I'll move it into the document if it fits. Oh, okay. There have been several things that people have contributed that way. I've also had people just message me on yeah. like Twitter on or social media or yeah, yeah Twitter. Yeah. One of the pieces that I need to write is I need to do much more exploration of gender abolition because the covering that I have of it is entirely from the context of the way that it's abused by turfs. Okay. And someone messaged me and said, hey, 
there's here's like all this wealth of information about the legitimate ways the gender abolition is discussed and how we, that is relevant in a trans context. And I was like, okay, I need to write a page on this. I haven't gotten to it yet because I have ADHD, but it's there. <laughs> I've gotten, I've received the information that I need. So that's the the piece that would help. It's just people sending me their stories or sending me their own words of descriptions of how what it's like from their perspective. Okay. I've had at least three different talk show guests that could make contributions to this along the lines of things. That would be wonderful. Like missing pieces. Okay. So it's a GitHub and that's the deal is I'm skittish about GitHub because I'm not a software engineer and I don't know <laughs> this website at all. Yeah. Okay, but it's pretty easy for to those, do a new issue and for those do a thing. Who are experienced with GitHub, mm-hmm. the site is basically all powered on Markdown, which if you're a software engineer, you've probably experienced Markdown before. Mm-hmm. It's a nice yeah. syntax for writing plain text that gets formatted into HTML. So contributing to the site is just writing Markdown files, which like you could just write an essay for me. And I can translate that into Markdown easily enough, or you can do it yourself if you know how to work with it. But I'll write a contributing guide that better explains how to add stuff to the site. I should have done that a long time ago. Here, I'll add it to our little notes. And there's also, if you click the Projects tab, I have a... Oh, maybe it's not visible. Interesting. I have a projects board that has all of the upcoming features that I'm working, that I want to work on, but Mm -hmm. I guess it's not publicly visible. I wonder if I can change that. Let me see really quick. I love that it's being a living document right the heck now. <laughs> Seriously, right? Oh, wait. Okay, it's on the actual, it's on the root. If you click on the gender dysphoria, yeah, on the left-hand side, click on that and then click on projects. And then the future content plans. Coming soon to an awesome website near you. So this is how I've been trying to track what I need to work on. Ooh, and um, someone submitted stuff on Patreon. So if someone's like on your Patreon, they could post a comment or send you yep. a message on there too. Okay. We use Trello for my project tracking stuff for stream because we realized that my random handwritten notes on pieces of paper in my desk didn't help anybody else help me. <laughs> so yeah, definitely not. Now we put it all on a Trello board and it's much easier. <laughs> this is cool. Another thing like, that might be cool is if there's a, an integration between like your Discord server. Is there like a channel in Discord people can submit ideas? Or My Discord is, I used to have a public Discord, but it never got any attention. Mm-hmm. Like I think in the year that I had it running, I had four people join. So I, I finally just shut it down. I have my own Discord, which is private, and I regulate how I, I like... I'm very picky about who I invite in because yeah. I'm very drama adverse yeah. and trans communities are not known for being drama free. But I have thought about possibly doing something to open it up to allow more public entry. It's just, I, I think I'm scared of the moderation requirement. That's fair. That's totally fair. Cool. I should get a GitHub someday so I can participate on there. <laughs> it's a great cool. site. Aside yeah. from the company's questionable politics, but oh, I want to do a shout out for the logo on this. 
that yeah, I have. So that's totally it's two. I made it from two pieces of artwork by JP means Jumpai. I think is how it's pronounced. It's I have them linked on the bottom of that page. They do so much amazing, fantastic trans and queer artwork, and their Instagram is just a wonderful resource for things to to use in that that the activism and such but also they they sell prints and they definitely deserve support because they are a fantastic artist i love this okay so since we're here at the table of contents could you tell us maybe for those who are listening and can't see what we're looking at what does the gender dysphoria bible cover what are the like what's in this thing what could we learn just walking through the table of contents there's a basic introduction that just describes the experience of, of the of being trans and what it means to be trans. There's a very rudimentary, okay, I say very rudimentary, but it's two pages long, covering of what is gender. What do we mean when we say gender? The problem is gender is such an expansive topic that yeah. I could not really deeply dive into what gender is. So you're still getting a thousand foot view of what gender is, but yeah. uh, there's a little bit of history about the term gender and the concepts surrounding it. The next page is a history of gender dysphoria itself. And I go into the the recognized literary and academic research that has been done into gender dysphoria and where the term gender dysphoria came from and the committees that are responsible. Like I talk about the origin of WPATH and uh, all these, cool. these, what has led up to this understanding of where we are now. Then I dive into the different kinds of gender dysphoria. So we have gender euphoria, which is the experience of joy and bliss that comes at being able to exist as who you really are. And, uh, and the joy that comes from small validating experiences. And I give a, an allegory of a person trapped in a cave who doesn't know what real light looks like until they finally step out into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's as an, a comparison to how you don't really kn- you you don't know that you're dysphoric until you experience euphoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the absence then, of the dysphoria that points out yes, that it exists. That was my exactly. experience too. Yeah. Then I get into physical dysphoria and the actual like physical discomforts that come with it, prefacing very strongly that not everyone experiences physical dysphoria, or that a lot of people think they aren't experiencing physical dysphoria until they get further into transition and suddenly start to recognize traits that they didn't know were there before. Yeah, because um, you're just numb. Yes, they're just everything numb, is just or they numb just to survive, or it's just you're blocked out by everything else. I did not know I had genital dysphoria until about a year into my transition. Mm-hmm. And and then suddenly things started changing and I started getting sensations I hadn't be, had before. And I suddenly realized, oh, this is wrong. The next page is biochemical dysphoria, which gets into specifically the experience of running on the wrong hormone profile. The human brain, from what we understand, from what we've seen through research, seems to lock in on a hormone profile that it expects. And that lock-in happens either during gestation or immediately after birth. And then once it's locked in on that, if it receives different from what it's expecting, all the alarms go off. And that's where you get 
depersonalization and derealization, which is a disconnect from the body and a disconnect from the world. And wonderfully, delightfully, the reason that The Matrix is a trans story is because the entire film is an allegory for derealization, for what it's like to walk through the world where everything feels disconnected. And it was um, made by two trans women who maybe weren't exactly. Out yeah. So yeah. it's so there. There are so many things about this that I could talk about, and I'm trying not to because it's there on the site, and people should go read it. But um, trying to get into how that mental discomfort that's so hard to describe that just goes away once you start hormone therapy. Yeah. One question I had related to this specific topic, if I may jump in the middle of the description of the broad all the content. What is depersonalization? What is dissociation? And what is the difference? I was trying to explain the difference to someone recently and I was like... Okay. Depersonalization (laughs) is a disconnection from your own self as like your body, like feeling disconnected from your body. Yes. Or like I'm just Uh, driving a meat tank. Exactly. Like a, a, a very common experience that people related was a sensation of feeling like you're just some sort of a symbiote living inside a robot. Like, mm. like your body is not your own. It's just something that carries you from point A to point B. And then also like the sensation of... Not everyone is like that. Not everyone feels I know, that right? way about their bodies. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Or like the experience of looking in the mirror and just absolutely... This is partly physical also, but just loathing, like feeling no disconnect. I love... There's... This is my old nerd talking. There's an episode of Star Trek that uh, deal where they're trapped in this like space bubble thing, and the, this alien entity is trying to communicate to the crew via Deanna. And she walks into her quarters and looks in the mirror, and she screams because she says what she saw in the mirror wasn't her looking back. Yeah, and that's what depersonalization feels like. I remember that episode. We've watched that within the last year. Yeah, yeah, it's a great episode. The res- dissociation is a disconnect from what's happening around you. Dissociation is, that also is where realization. No, derealization is a, is, is also different. I'll get thing. into that. Okay, 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 cool. Dissociation is where you have put your mind out of what's happening around you. So, like, you're sitting there and you're daydreaming, or you're like things are happening, but you're not thinking about what's happening. Okay, so an example so of like my own experience. So like the dysphoria stuff? Somewhat, yes. Okay. An example of my own that is rather intimate, but like uh, pre-transition, I always dissociated during sex because everything felt wrong. So what I would do was I would imagine some other scenario happening. I would think of, I would fantasize about something else during the moment so that I was disconnecting from the actual what was happening in around me mm-hmm. and not thinking about what my body was doing. Yeah. And that was actually the only way I could climax was through mm-hmm. disc total disconnect. Or you'll see it uh, a lot of times, like if you're talking to someone about something and they don't want to listen to you and you can tell that they've just checked out yeah. that's dissociation. Deep derealization is where the experience of feeling like the world is not real. Like you're in the Truman Show or like you're in the Matrix. The feeling that uh, a very common experience is walking through the world, feeling not as if you are moving through the world, but the world is moving around you. Like you're on a giant treadmill. Or that 
all the people you interact with are fake and that no one is ever actually talking to you with whole, with genuine feelings. Like they're just putting on a show to engage with you the way that they're supposed to. I have met a trans person who talked about that and I didn't realize that's what that was when I heard it. Mm-hmm. So that's like a rev- revelatory information for me today. And I should be very clear dissociation, depersonalization, and derealization are not exclusively trans traits. Yeah. They're just very common with trans people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think adding dissociation to this page would make sense? Probably. Okay. At least a better, maybe even just a sidebar blurb explaining the difference. I'll write it down in my notes. And it's going to be spelled wrong, and I'm going to leave it spelled wrong so we can keep going with the show. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. That was awesome. So if we go back to the table of contents. So that was biochemical dysphoria that we were talking about. Would you like to continue telling us about all the fabulous topics you wrote about and other people have written about? So the next piece is social dysphoria, which is dealing with... In fact, you know what? I need to look at my own page because I haven't... I got to make sure I remember this because it's easily conflated with societal dysphoria. There's the phrase one of us on here. Okay, so yes, social dysphoria is about how you are perceived in the world. Like, Mm. for example, feeling like the discomfort that you have about if someone sees that you're a woman or Mm. if someone treats you as if you're a man, that that sense of you can just tell. When I get misgendered on the phone because they hear my voice and make assumptions about my pronouns. Yes, or that that knee-kick feeling that you have in the gut when somebody uses the wrong pronoun. That, yeah, you know exactly what I mean. That sort of like little gut twist. Like it's about the way that you socialize with other people and the way that other people socialize with you. Like that also in terms of, for example, we we mentioned earlier how like autistic communities, we bond better because we all communicate the same way. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens in gender groups where groups of men will communicate differently from groups of women, from groups of gender diverse, like uh, uh, non-binary identities. Like you get different experiences out of that. Yeah. I know, like, I the, know language the non-binary just pals have mean, memes. Like we have socially oh, well, shared memes. Every, like um, we all today's have memes. gender is pineapple, <laughs> for example. Like trans men or trans women maybe don't experience that as a thing. But like today's gender That's true. is... Oh, a cup of tea by the rainy window or what? like whatever. There's a whole subculture in non-binary spaces about today's gender is not any of anyone's gendered expectations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. People, different identities have shared experiences and it creates a culture. And you can tell when people are, are using the wrong one. Mm-hmm. That one memory that always comes to mind is walking into a grocery store and the, the walking up to a counter and just from the way that a person greets me, I know how they've gendered me. I know I recognize the way that I've been perceived. Like one after a while of, of that, you just you learn the patterns. And yes, one of us is the funny phenomenon of how we seem to find each other even when we don't know we're trans. But like the the constant regular recurring experience of friend groups where one person comes out and suddenly within a year all of them have come out as something oh totally because yeah because we just subconsciously see each other i have a friend 
I love that. Uh, a non-binary friend who has now dated, I think, eight people who she thought were men who later ended up being trans women. <laughs> like, like she just keeps on finding these women and hiding. Yeah. Yeah. My One of my exes is now non-binary trans mask. And at the time <laughs> we were just two lesbians. And now we're both trans mask non-binary people. Uh-huh. It's of course. Oh, also side note: it's fun to date and marry trans people. It is T for T is bliss. So bliss, such bliss. So the next one is societal dysphoria. So social is so about like interactions between people and how a person is perceived. What is societal dysphoria? Societal dysphoria is all about gender roles. Expectations for behavior, expectations for cultural attachment, expectations in parenting, especially. So the word mother is a very weighted word. Mm -hmm. And the concept of mother as an identity is very weighted. And the way that we treat birthing parents in our culture is there's just so much baggage on that. So that is a classic example of a societal dysphoria, that feeling of no, I am not this kind of parent that you think I am. Like, mm -hmm. in my own case, I felt I, I was a terrible father. Like, I have two kids, and I was did not fit into the father role at all. Mm -hmm. But once I switched over to taking on more, people will label them as stereotypes, but taking on those roles more, they mm -hmm. felt much more at home. I felt much more at home. And my relationship with my kids significantly improved. That was one of my societal dysphorias. Okay. And then so, also getting into the shame that can come around failing to meet those roles. Yeah. I was really bad at being a woman. Like, I never could get the makeup. My hair was always a mess. I was just in sweatshirts all the time. Didn't wear girly clothes. I did not like playing tea. I did not like doing nails. I when I was imagining a wedding in the future, I could never imagine my partner or what I would look like also I know because all about gay. That. But I just I couldn't play pretend wedding like my sister could. It just was like I it's not in here. I had the all. exact opposite scenario. Yeah. I grew up as my teen in my teens shamefully looking at wedding magazines in secret because I was so caught up in the idea of being a bride. Oh. And, and and I always, I had to do it. I would go into um, like the, the local nickel and dime store and just sit in front of the wet magazine racks and leaf through magazines. Because I knew if anyone caught me, they would come up with the wrong idea about everything. And I mm -hmm. think at the bottom, no, it's not this page. There's another page. It might be under sexual dysphoria. Talk about the coercive male gaze, which gets into that. The way that we expect so. yes the way that people who are assigned male are expected to behave certain ways with sexual stuff and how that when you are not a man that experience can be very painful but we're getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> is there more you wanted to say on societal dysphoria no people can read through it there's a part about dating and the way that that relationships work because Two women dating has a very different dynamic than two men dating or a man and a woman dating. Like the mm. 
the way that people interrelate is different. And there's a very common experience, at least in the trans femme community, of realizing, oh, I always dated like a lesbian. That's why I couldn't yeah. get anybody. My wife always so, dated like a lesbian way before she uh-huh. transitioned and was like, all of these girls want me to rub their feet, but they never want to like date me for real. It's Honestly, I... Situation. That, yes. Oh, the whole trope of useless lesbian is a whole other topic to discuss. I also personally have, well, I have a strong suspicion that a lot of incel culture comes mm-hmm. from trans femmes that are closeted who have so much internalized transphobia that they cannot even remotely approach the feelings they're having. So it all gets morphed into all this animosity and anger. Mm-hmm. And so you have this whole idea of the friend zone when, yeah. yeah if you're dating like a lesbian, you probably will get friend zoned because that's how lesbians date. <laughs> yeah, it is how lesbians date. It totally is. Uh, the next one is sexual dysphoria, which I touched on a little bit earlier, but about like the idea that the way that you have sex, the, the, the you have an own internal expectation of the way that sex will go. And if that expectation does not meet the realities of what you are experiencing, that causes discomfort. So, like, for example, the expectation that male-assigned individuals will always be tops, that can be a very discongruous kind of experience. And here I get into some of the experiences, some managed elements of seeking gay relationships as a man when you aren't actually a man because that's the only way you can get the kind of things that you're expecting from a partner mm. or uh, talking about the problem of the classic historical thing of do I want to be with her or do I want to be her like that phenomenon which I know happens with everyone on the spectrum I've heard it yeah. from trans mass I've heard it from non-binary people I've heard it from trans femmes everyone has this universal experience Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that How Baby comic. And I actually got her permission to put that up there because, and she was thrilled when I wrote in about that. Or wait, maybe, I think Lindsay's still using she, her. I'm not sure now, actually. But fan, How Baby is a fantastic comment, comic, and it's well worth reading through because Lindsay has a, an amazing insight into a lot of experiences of parenting mm-hmm. as a non-binary person because they are not, are not cis. And uh, it's been very interesting watching their own, the comic evolve as they've come into their own understanding of their own gender and uh, and how that relates to parenting and motherhood. If we were to go back a page, back to societal for a minute, up here at the top, you say husband, wife, mother, father. And I wonder about, there's this other piece where you're non-binary and you're rejecting all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think I read somewhere that 25% of LGBTQ people identify as non-binary these days, or maybe it's LGBTQ youth. Maybe it's youth. Maybe it's not all the generations, but the youth. And as a, I don't know, maybe just a fun piece of information for your brain to chew on. So my wife and I had to come up with a name for me that is spouse, but sweeter than spouse feels very clinical to me. So we came up with infinite for me. Infinite. Yeah. Interesting. It's a gender meowster and trans capybara original, infinite. Cre- so creates a Doctor Strange vibe. 
Nice. And using the phrase parent instead of mother or father. And we, I wanted us to come up with a name for me that wasn't just my first name with my stepkids. So my wife had kids with her first wife when she still was able to make what she sassily calls baby batter, <laughs> which she cannot make anymore. She actually, she, and she's talked about this on stream. She's, she actually had bottom surgery in January. And so she's about six months post now. And I'm really happy for her. To her. Yeah. It's super. I'm so, she's so much happier now because the I dysphoria bet. with the bottom thing has finally gone away. She talks about how like her brain every minute would be, there's something wrong with your body. There's something wrong with yeah. your body for 46 years. She's yep. 46 when she I, finally had her surgery. And it's just, it's like an alert that you can never turn off in your head. And, and then you start getting the phantom. You get the mm -hmm. phantom sensations too of, of something yeah. that should be there that isn't. And that's even a d another kind of torture. It is. And then you get through it and suddenly everything just feels right. Yeah. Yeah. So she absolutely went through all of that. And yeah, I forgot what I was saying. Basically, there's <laughs> cool, there's cool non-binary words for the societal things. And I think more and more people are wanting to reject gender roles and reject yes. societal expectations of folks. And so one one way people put a word to that rejection is being non-binary and being like, nope, yeah, I'm not those things. And for yeah, me, at least as a disabled, happy disability month while this is recording, as a disabled, gender wonderful, like neuro wonderful being, I can't live up to the gender expectations of either gender. Either right. of the cis het genders, I don't know. So no, I totally get more that. Than two that genders, makes... but it's just yeah. There's just I can't. I'm too disabled and too neuro wonderful to do it. So I don't know. It lets me yeah. I have the same problems myself in a lot of ways, especially when it having ADHD and having two children who also have ADHD mm -hmm. makes for quite the the storm. And sometimes it can be very hard to live up to the expectations of patient parenting scenarios. So I absolutely can re relate to that. Oh, patient. I'm looking. So the next on here is presentational dysphoria. Is that gender presentation? Yes. It's okay. As it says in the very first line, clothes, hair, makeup, jewelry, glasses, like everything that we use to Anything that we do to alter our presentation, our gender view to others that doesn't involve some sort of change to the actual body. It's the way that we style our hair, the way the methods of clothing that we receive, trying to find some sort of a happy place where you're presenting yourself, you're looking the way you want to look with your own internal sense of identity. Yeah. And yeah, that's... It, that part's fairly straightforward, I feel like. It's, this is, we gender so many kinds of clothing so severely, especially feminine clothing. And even the very nature of fe of what is feminine and masculine clothing is itself deeply gendered. And those expectations for that can be very constraining. Yeah, totally. I like this thing that's in bold here. Was this something you wrote or is this something someone submitted and it was in a... That was something I wrote. Made? Nice. It was something I was very, I, through all of this, I try to avoid any kind of absolutism. Mm -hmm. I, I always, in most of my sentences, they're structured to always give a general idea. We're not 
like the, that some people experience this or many people experience this, never all people experience this because yeah. there will always be people who do not. And uh, in the same here, like not everyone presents the way you expect them to. There's uh, a couple Instagrammers that I follow who regrettably have had to disconnect from Instagram several times because of the, the animosity that they receive both from transphobes and from people within our own community because one of them is transmasculine but likes being femme. They like their breasts. They like mm -hmm. their shape. They like wearing feminine clothing, but they are on testosterone and they identify with he, they. So, and the negative, the trans, trans medicalist attacks that they receive for this are so violent. And so I wanted to make it very clear. It is perfectly valid to exist how and present however you want to present, regardless of what your identity is. Yeah. And that's only half the things. <laughs> that's only half of it. And this is just the stuff that I wrote the first bit. Like, and then existential dysphoria, like that part was trying to put a term to the feeling of all the things you missed out on because you were in the closet for most of your life. Oh God, yeah. That that grief of not not being able to engage in so many things you wanted to engage in the mm -hmm. the the sorrow of in my case not having a young girlhood not being able to be a teenage girl running around with her friends or or to not be able to date as a woman in her 20s like that's a lot of pain yeah and uh, and it, it does get talked about but it doesn't get highlighted the way it should yeah one time I asked my wife, what is it with trans women and cat ears? There's like a whole thing and I don't understand. Like, what is that? And she's, I'm not sure, but if I were to guess, because of course no one's a monolith of their identities. No one can speak for all right. trans people. And that's the whole reason we have the talk show is let's get as many perspectives on this stuff as possible. So we might glimpse a bigger picture. I don't think we'll ever know all of it, but and she's just, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with missing those life stages as the socially the right gender and mm -hmm. needing to revisit that and relive some of that. And so then you get all the, she's, yeah, it's a young trans woman thing. I don't think that's true forever, but I think there are some people who are furries and some people who are just, they're cat girls forever, but yeah, there's yeah. certainly something to be said for the way that uh, a lot of people, especially millennials, turned to furry and anime content as a relief mechanism, myself included. Yeah. So though there is a strong connection to that identity that we grew up with it. Yeah. And it's wonderful how the furry community is so gender accepting. Yeah, they're fun. They're super fun. They're also very queer accepting, like of the, oh, yes. the various sexual identities that are out there. So then, and they'll fight for you too, as long as you give them head pats. <laughs> and then manage dysphoria, which is just talking about the ways that we, while in the closet, attempt to deal with the discomfort that we have, ways to escape the discomfort, ways to redirect it. This was actually inspired a lot by masking, by autistic masking articles that I read. Okay. that was talking about the ways that especially among women autism is missed or underdiagnosed because we develop all these coping mechanisms to deal with things 
that that hides the symptoms. Like we learn how to make eye contact. We learn how to avoid stimming in front of others, like all these little tricks. And I thought this happens with transness too. So I was like, wanted to write about all these different way ways that things come up. Yeah. I don't know why that AFABS is there. Oh, I see why. Okay. Obsessively working out is a way to manage dysphoria as a like trans mask AFAB person. Yeah. Yeah. I know some and people then I had who don't a, I had have a further... access to HRT who are like, well, I'm going to do everything I can with exercise and like well, my point losing was there. weight so there's less estrogen in my body and yes, the whole, whole plan that they and have. Also, and also because we culturally associate strong muscle, large muscles with masculinity. So it, it, it helps to handle physical dysphoria by having a more bulky shape. But I also had it further down for AMABs as well under ways that we would try hide. to, yes, hide and, mm-hmm. and try to meet other ex- other people's expectations, trying to fulfill those roles that were put onto us. Did I know you quite a- grow a denial beard? I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely, this is a sensory problem. I hate having facial hair. Mm-hmm. So I I hate having body hair. I've shaved most of my life. I couldn't it's do it, same, but I know... It's the same for my wife, yeah. I know so many women, though, who did, and so their transition timelines are hilarious. Ooh, that one. Marrying and having kids in, anticip- in anticipation that it will fix. What's wrong with you? I took that straight out of a She's Not There, Jennifer Boylan's book, because she oh. writes about how she had that perception herself, that if she could just find a wife and start a family, then that would solve whatever her problem was. And I experienced it some myself too. I thought for a lot of my life, I thought that what was making me so sad was just the fact that I was alone. This is a imposter syndrome. This page is entirely about the ways that we tell ourselves that we aren't trans. Yeah. The ways that we convince ourselves that we're not trans enough or that, that we're not, that we don't fit in with that that idea or that we are just I, I have a friend who persistently regularly whenever her dysphoria spikes she thinks that she's just a tra- a gay man that oh. that has been tricking herself like all these awful internal thoughts these internal voices most of which comes from trauma about yeah. trying to convince ourselves that we're wrong and uh, so much of it is just it's internalized transphobia it's all the messages that we've absorbed growing up but then also the active forces these days that are fighting to tell us that we are not who we really are the transphobic elements the cultural elements oh and then yes i got into agp autogenophilia which is the the curse of many a trans woman which oh i could rant about this for a long time Ray Blanchard is one of the few people in this world that I will happily dance when he dies because he is just an awful person. And uh, the things that he published and has continued even to this day to, to try to reinforce into mainstream are just so horrifically abusive to trans women. Hmm. And so many of us, grew up with this intense shame of believing that we were just some sort of pervert mm-hmm. for our own for our dysphoria feeling. And then the way he just so casually dismisses trans masks, like completely, like, like he he came up with some very tiny in theory to go alongside it for why trans men exist, but it was nonsense. He just didn't care. 
It appeared in college textbooks. Wow. Oh yeah. Even though, even though it didn't meet scientific rigor, that's really frustrating. And that's I. I was 16 years old. My mother was in college. She was taking psychology 101, and I was leafing through her psych textbook, and found that. And that was what convinced me that I needed to stay in the closet forever. Goodness. I'm so glad you're not in the closet now. Except <laughs> technically you are in real life. Oh, yes, I am literally in a closet <laughs> at this very moment. Jokes. We joke. And then you have clinical diagnoses. Is this where you get into WPATH stuff? Yes. Less WPATH and more American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic material. Because mm -hmm. WPATH doesn't actually specifically define cri diagnostic criteria. WPATH's message is basically, if you think you're trans, you are trans. Like, that's okay. literally the official WPATH stance is, if you want to transition, that means you are trans. The DSM is more specific and goes into more actual hard criteria for things that a person must experience. Yeah. Because these are things that... Almost all of us grew up thinking everyone experienced, but really only trans people experience and cis people don't think about these things. And mm -hmm. so like when you go through this list, it's, oh, and yeah. this is what cracked my egg. This is what, what made me realize I was trans was just reading through this and going, oh yeah, I meet all of this. And some of it, again, getting into the imposter syndrome like reading through part one, the one thing that I didn't felt I marked off was, I think maybe it was experience. I think it was the very first one. An incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and secondary sexual characteristics. And that was just because at the time I was so deep in the closet that my own memories of my childhood were blocked out. And yeah. I couldn't remember all the ways that I had always not been a boy. Sometimes that's and, stuff yeah. Oh, it's so much. So many memories have unlocked in the four years since I transitioned. So many things that that now I look back on and go, why so, didn't everyone see this? So today you're four years on the path and you've already done this whole thing. You already made this whole yep. thing. Wow. Yep. That's so cool. I'm so glad you're in the world. Thank you. Yeah. I am too. <laughs> How is gender dysphoria treated? Ooh. So this gets into the ways that the different forms of transition, mm -hmm. because transition is a word that is, means a whole lot of different things. And we have social transition, which is changing the way that you want people to address you, new pronouns, new names, and just informing people, I'm not cis. Then there's legal transition, which is making that law, like going through and, and updating gender markers on IDs, changing birth certificates, getting na legal name changes, all that stuff. And then presentational transition, which is the part where you actually start existing as yourself full time. We have the, the whole boy mode, girl mode mentality, but yeah. uh, it, it's so much more nuanced than that, really. And then medical transition, which is specifically non-binary mode. Yes, there is. I didn't know things. the word for it. Yeah, I don't know the word for it either. I, yeah, I think there will come a moment where, or rather a series of hours where I will sit down with this. Now that I know how to submit like suggestions, maybe I'll do a series <laughs> of tweets being like, also this, <laughs> here's the non-binary version wonderful. of this binary transgender stuff. 
I would seriously just start like throwing me me lines, like just tell me what paragraph on the page you're talking about and and something that could be included there and I'll work it in. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I once this episode comes out in August, I have a feeling there's a handful of pals in my community that would love to hang maybe we'll hang out in Discord some night and write things for you. Wonderful. You'll get a pile of tweets <laughs> all on the same day. <laughs> yeah, I'll wake up to my mentions blown up. Maybe I'll put it in one Google Doc or you know, <laughs> in a Discord message that I keep editing or something so that it's you, your brain doesn't explode with the volume of things we've sent you. Or I'll figure out GitHub. That's probably the best option for you, I'm imagining. But either or. GitHub certainly skips some steps. I really wanted to call out here this bold and italicized text, prepubescent children do not medically transition, because that is something that cis people do not freaking understand. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the transphobes, the, like, every single argument, this stupid stuff with sports, stuff surrounding puberty blockers and hormone therapy itself, not a, it's constantly, oh, what, you want to transition babies you want to make babies grow breasts i'm like what are you talking about yeah Such puberty ignorance. blockers puberty blockers for people whose puberty stuff is starting to come online is really valuable it's extremely valuable yeah i i, I ca- have countless trans people have told me if only i had known back then if only i had access yes. back then like, I wouldn't have to go through all these painful surgeries now because I wouldn't have grown the secondary sex characteristics that I don't want or need. And if you take blockers for three or five years and then you change your mind later, you just go through puberty a little bit later and maybe a bit shorter. Yeah. And they've been That's doing it. it for cis people for a hundred years. Like, this is not a trans-exclusive thing. This, None of our medications are trans-exclusive. All of them. All of even our our surgical practices were all created for cis people. Yeah, we just take advantage of it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. just the sheer. I'll tell you what. I had, a breast, I had a breast reduction several years ago for back pain. I did mm-hmm. not have to get a bunch of letters. I didn't have to do all this other bullshit to make that permanent change to my body. There's my. Oh, that's impressive. My wife has not been able to. <laughs> she know, wants to get a reduction other, as well. We had to show medical necessity, but I'd had. Right, six yeah. years of me coming in saying to the doctor, I have back pain. Let's try and treat it. And we did all this and all the stuff. So we had already documented all of that because we've been working on it. And so it, I went from needing this thing to having it within three months. And I have been submitting appeals and second level appeals for top surgery for six months now. And when the I, insurance company is just like pretending yep. we didn't get when the papers. Through- I've sent it twice. To you. I tried like... to get my, when I got my orchiectomy, I immediately, when I was starting to do this, I contacted the insurance company and, and called the, the number and was like, hey, I want to find out what I have to do to get this pre-approved because I know that you're not going to just let me do this. And yeah. the person I talked to said, oh, no, according to our system, it's completely, we don't require any pre-approval at all. It's just a standard procedure. There's no pre-auth at all. And uh, I was I like, I don't believe you. talking to a trans person? Exactly. They didn't did not consider that it's a different classification in their system. And the hell that I went through trying to get that approved, like they it took me six months, like from and, and part of that 
was because when they initially submitted it, I had actually told my doctor, don't submit this for trans reasons because I had also had chronic testicular pain. Turns out I had a tumor down there that remained untreated for 20 years. But they, yeah. And actually the irony is if I had just gone to them for that pain, it would have been covered non, no problem. They would have knocked it out in a week. Yeah. But because it was gender related and because he submitted it as gender related, I had to wait until I had been on hormone therapy a year. And then there was another two months after that before they finally approved it. And you had a tumor that maybe could have killed you. Yep. Yep. I was in chronic pain for almost my entire life, and which I had been told multiple times was just caused by my obesity. Yeah. And nope, well, fat, I had a fat phobia. Friggin tumor. Fat phobia oh, is yeah. a whole other thing. And F Oh, that. yeah. You can be healthy. Whole another conversation. It turns out. Yep. So wonderful treatment options here. Love that. I really what? wanted to try to go through every single surgical process that we have available. On the list or out loud right now? No, just on the list. When I was writing yeah, yeah. this, I was like, I need to find every single thing that we do because there are a lot of them. And there it's so some. funny that people are like, have you had the surgery? And which of these 20 are you talking about? Yeah. They probably mean bottom surgery. Oh, surely. Question. Yeah. For the first time in my life, someone asked me about surgery recently and I was like mm. gobsmacked. I wasn't, I was not expecting someone to be asking me about medical things with my body. It was so mm -hmm. casual too. And uh -huh. I, I'd heard, I'd heard trans people talk about this happens and it's inappropriate and people suck, but it had never happened to me. So anyway, that was a weird thing that happened this week. <laughs> Yeah, shortly after I started, <laughs> after I went full time and went out to see some friends for lunch, and one of them was like, are those real boobs? And I was like, yes, I grew them myself. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Not really, but thank you. And there's nothing wrong with taking estrogen, growing your own boobs, and then also having, like, implants or inserts yeah, or breast exactly. forms or any of that stuff. Like, the point is to help with dysphoria. The point is not for someone else to enjoy how they feel or look or whatever. Like it's not right. for other people. It's for us. It's for the trans people Very ourselves. Much. That's yeah. something I always tell people about FFS. It's not about trying to look more beautiful. It's about changing who in the mirror. Yeah. It's about looking like yourself to yourself. Yes. Causes of gender dysphoria. What a large topic you've written about. It is a very large topic. And unfortunately, this is one that has a lot of potential for misunderstanding. Mm. Because a lot of people look at this page and they think that I'm playing gender essentialist or diving into the, this idea of that, that we are what our brains tell us to be and that, that, some, that you're stuck with whatever you're born with. And it's that isn't the intent of this page at all. Mm -hmm. This page is just describing what we know as medical science about how brains masculinize or feminize in the same way that the genitals masculinize and feminize. Mm -hmm. And what that masculinization means does not have an effect on your identity. It's just about how your brain responds to different hormone profiles. Yeah. I can tell you, I feel like my brain works better now that I'm on T. Like, mm -hmm. 
I feel in there's still untreated ADHD and I need I'm on a waiting list. It's a whole that's a whole other topic, but it's I feel more myself in my own head now. I also notice a change in my energy. I don't know if this is reflected anywhere on your site and we just haven't gone it's, there. It's but... mentioned in the the 101 page, yeah, or the the second puberty page. Um, like I used to have a low level of energy for a really long time when I was estrogen based. And now that I'm on tea, I have a lot more energy for the first eight to 10 hours of the day. And then I crash and fall the F asleep, like right away, just like conk <laughs> out. I just conk out. I'm taking more naps than I used to because I go harder and then I just zonk. Yeah. And you're probably feeling the effect of blood sugar changes more now as well. Interesting. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that. I know that my mood tanks in the evenings just because my blood sugar crashes. I do try to have snacks around so that I don't get too limp. Feel over. But, Stop making words. <laughs> but the chromosomes. Won't someone think of the chromosomes? This page is just basically talking about all the ways that people are not XY or XX. Because there are so many ways that the, we don't even know how much of the population is not karyotypical. Because we don't check that. We don't karyotype everyone when they're born. We don't karyotype during any processes. So, like, for all we know, you could have 30% of the population walking around whose karyotype mismatches their phenotype, the, who mm. have lived and existed as women when they're actually XY or lived as men when they're actually XX. Like we, it keeps coming up. Yeah. Like I found, what was I think it was a Quora question once from somebody who did 23andMe. It was a man who did 23andMe and he came back XX and he's, I don't know what to do with this. And it was like, people were telling him, don't do anything. It doesn't have any bearing on your life, does it? Like, and I have, I know several trans femmes who have, gone and gotten karyotype just to see what it came out and it came back not xy like mm -hmm. uh trans ethics on twitter and on facebook she's x she has yeah. grown up her entire life believing that she was she was assigned male at birth based upon her physical shape but she is not xy mm -hmm. and yeah it's bull it's absolute bull to try to claim that chromosomes have any bearing on gender or even sex because it isn't the DNA that defines what you come out as. It's just proteins and hormones. There's 15, for those just listening to this later, there are 15 different things that Jocelyn has found and listed on here. That's so wild. Look at that. The chromosomes. How much is that test? Depends on if the insurance covers it. I had mine done through LabCorp. And oh wait, okay. The 23andMe test, I think it's usually a hundred dollars, but they have specials all the, all the time that bring it down to fifty. Okay. And you can get it off <clears throat> I know you can get it off Amazon for different sales and stuff like that. And at, but the 23andMe test is not a full proper karyotyping test. It's okay. just that's something that does come out of it. And they actually say in fairly strong lettering, our tests cannot reliably determine if you have a intersex condition because mm -hmm. they're not checking for anything more than 46 chromosomes. I also had a proper karyotype test done that my doctor ordered, and that was done through LabCorp, and it was just a blood test, and that was covered like any other kind of blood test was. So I had a, a copay on it. 
So it's not thousands of dollars, it's hundreds of dollars. And if you have insurance, it might only be $30. That's cool. How hormones work. Ooh, science. This is, yes, science. This page originally started as a subsection I was going to do about explaining the ways that different, it, it led into the second puberty piece about how HRT works. So this page is just explaining what the different kinds of hormones are and how they play into the role, the, the way that HRT works. And one key piece on here is at the bottom of this, I get into mineral corticoids, which are the, the hormones responsible for like how your kidneys work, how fat gets distributed, how your body processes sugars, all that fun stuff that spironolactone totally fucks with. Second F word. It, and why that's a lead into why it's such an awful drug for us to be using in gender transition. Spiral. But we do regularly for trans women. So like in we your have experience, Spiro is not a drug you would want to wish on anyone. No, I would not. I I had a car accident in 2017 that I directly track to being on Spiro because of what it did to my mental acuity. In Spiro, people use it to counteract the testosterone from testicles. It is, is that right? a yes. It is a it does a lot of different things. And in fact, I, I have an article I've been working on that I'll probably add to it that goes into explaining exactly how Spiro works, because that is a whole topic in and of itself. But it basically, it's, it was created as a diuretic. Like that's its primary purpose is mm. to be function as a diuretic. And that is the mineral corticoid part of it. Aldosterone. Aldosterone tells the kidneys to stop releasing water to stop peeing, basically. And, and Spiro gets in there and blocks that, so your kidneys run constantly. Well, aldosterone also has an impact on, on the production of cortisol and cortisone, which are necessary for how your body processes fats and also for stress things. It basically tells your body that you are in a stress. Oh, that's taking that inflammatory yeah, system. Exactly. So you're basically constantly keeping your body in a state of stress. Spiro um, would also possibly activate people's chronic pain stuff and potentially cause yes. chronic inflammation, which could lead to a bunch of a cascade of other like diseases that are related to chronic inflammation. Yep. Wow. It also causes it. It can interfere with the body's ability to release release glucose that's stored in fat cells. So. When you're, which is really unideal for transition because you want fat to migrate, mm -hmm. but the spirit was preventing the fat from migrating. So you end up with an interesting form where you have fats going on in the place where estrogen is telling them to, but the fats that are in the places where testosterone was aren't releasing. And you end up with what I referred to as my British grandma phase, where I looked like I was uh, menopausal. Because I had fat distribution all over my body and it made me look 15 years older. Wow. And then once I got off the Spiro, all the testosterone fat released and suddenly in the span of two months, I completely feminized and it was the wildest thing. And you look at my timelines and it's just amazing, but it's, uh, it's an interesting drug. It's a very interesting drug. And the way that it blocks testosterone, which isn't actually very good at it, but it is a very mild organist for the the progestin and the 
testosterone receptors in the brain. So it, it gets in there and it just fits well enough to tell the brain, hey, I've got a whole bunch of this stuff present. And then the brain says, whoa, okay, shut down the factories. And then that's how it deactivates things. The problem is Spiro is not as good at that as some other drugs. Acetate is the one that's commonly used outside of the United States. It's a much more effective antiandrogen. It's not legal in the U.S. because no drug company has been willing to pay for the FDA approval. Oof. So there are better medications out there. We just don't have access to them here. Yeah. But there's also other techniques that can be used, such as monotherapy, which doesn't require any antiandrogen at all. You just put a whole lot of estrogen in. And then you skip progesterone altogether? No. Oh, okay. You said mono, and then I thought one pill. Oh, mono as opposed to, yeah, I guess that's deceptive, isn't it? No, progesterone is worse, is useful as well. And progesterone also actually has an antiandrogen effect. I definitely highly recommend people take progesterone. It's it's frustrating how much ignorance there is in the medical community about the benefits of progesterone in trans care, because there's a lot of doctors who will say, there's no evidence that says it's beneficial. And then you talk to any trans woman who has taken it, and they'll be like, yeah, I saw massive breast growth after I started progesterone, and now I sleep much better, and my mood got better. Like, all this anecdotal evidence that... Yeah. Progesterone is a fantastic drug. And there are even now, there are scientific articles talking about it, but doctors have no reason to update themselves on the current understandings. I do know that WPATH is planning to have an advisory on progesterone in 2022 when they do the next version of the standards of care. So hopefully that will improve things. I'm info dumping so hard right now. <laughs> it's so great. I'm loving all of it. This this is hormone therapy is a big obsession for me. It's something I really love and cherish and have really sunk my teeth into learning as much as I can about this about endocrinology. And uh, I, I love to info dump on it. I, I'll just ramble forever. It's so great. I love it though. I think you're doing an awesome job. Well, thank you. And I wanted you to be able to info dump and have me listen and actually ask good questions. So that's why I'm so glad we had our bio break. So do you want to keep talking about progesterone or switch to <laughs> androgenic second puberty? Uh, we can go out in the next piece. What to expect from masculinizing HRT? I just want to say, starting off, I appreciate that you have transmasculine people first in this list of two and maybe it's just because alphabetical but I feel like in conversations about trans things, trans men are just erased all over the place all the time. That is exactly why I put it first. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. That's so great. Hooray. That is a massive problem and I've seen it over and over again in multiple spaces, multiple communities. We trans femmes are a talkative bunch and unfortunately getting rid of that, it's, I'm getting in trouble for saying this, it's a factor of male privilege that you do end up growing up expecting that you will be heard yeah. and expecting that what you have to say should be said. And because of that, when you get a group of us together, we do have a tendency to, to ramble on and talk over people. And unfortunately, in mixed trans spaces, that has a very erasing effect. Mm -hmm. 
And it's something I think a lot of people don't like talking about because the, the word male privilege has so much weight behind it and so much to be said. And nuance can sometimes go out the door with these things. But it's... Do you think it's AMAB privilege? Do you think that's actually a more accurate phrase? Or like socialized it's... male privilege? This is... Okay, so this is where we get into the problem of the word privilege as well. Because okay. privilege has two meanings. There's privilege as in what you are given by others for how you are perceived. Mm -hmm. And then there is privilege as in what you expect from others because of the way that you have been raised. Mm. And it's a good delineation. One, the, the former is very much a, it is a passing privilege. It is not an actual thing that we have. No, that's not right. We have it, but we, but not by any choice of ourselves. It's what comes from other people. And we have no control over that. The latter, however, is very much a mental thing and something that you have to deprogram yourself to. And sometimes that disappears fairly quickly, and sometimes it doesn't. And it's very unique to each individual person. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with someone having that. It doesn't have any bearing on your identity. It doesn't invalidate you. It's just a factor of how you grew up. I also don't like the word male socialization because that's another one that often gets misused and misunderstood. But it is a factor of AMAB, growing up AMAB, yeah. especially if you transition late in life. It's learned behaviors. Let's put it that way. Yeah. This is such a fun conversation. It's, we're, I don't know if you identify as neurodivergent, but... Oh, I do. I absolutely do. I feel like two neurodivergent people talking about a shared special interest of gender is, like, my favorite yep. place to be. <laughs> it's like that meme, the the meme of talking to a, a cis person about gender versus talking to a trans person about gender. And the cis it's person like, is like, I'm gay. No, it's the, like... The trans person is like a list of 16 different identities. Oh, there's that one too. I was thinking of the one where like the cis one is it's a woman like taking care of a a, a, a toddler. Mm -hmm. And then in the other one, it's like Socrates and Aristotle talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like different levels of understanding. Yeah, it's fun. It's so fun. So androgenic second puberty, what to expect for masculinizing HRT. I did, wh so when was this page published? How long has this been here? Uh, I don't remember seeing this before. Three months ago, maybe? Yeah. I'd I have was, to look on GitHub. I probably, yeah, that's probably why I didn't see this, because I don't remember this page being here when I looked more thoroughly before, and then we found it last night. I was like, holy smokes. I can tell well, you pretty quickly if I look on the at the commit log. Because um, to get um, this information four months ago or six months ago when I was thinking about starting tea... I had to like, mm -hmm. get a hold of my friends and send them some messages over Signal and be like, what is this? Oh, it was four months ago. Yeah. I started HRT four months ago. So when I was thinking about this six months ago, I didn't have this and I wish I had. Yeah. Here it is. This is so great. <laughs> and the this list and the actually the feminizing version of this list started based upon what convinced me to transition. Because it was the day after I read that article on gender dysphoria, and I was inhaling everything I could off of trans Reddit. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this, this thread by a trans woman talking about the gifts 
that Transition had given, her favorite things that had come forward from Transitioning. And half the list was physical stuff. Yeah. So like the just reading through that, it was like this shopping list of things I wanted in my life. And I was like, this had such a profound impact on me. It absolutely will have the same impact on others. And so yeah. that's why I wanted that page, just to say, here's what to expect. If this sounds awesome to you, you should probably transition. Totally. So for androgenic second puberty, you have voice drop, changes in body temperature placement. Like we get warmer. Is that the deal? Testosterone causes heat to radiate to the outer layers of the body versus centralizing in the core. Mm. So the extremities become warmer and the skin becomes warmer. And, and because that's where all your temperature sensations are, you feel hotter. So there was a fantastic thread that I read a while back. I'll never find it again, I know. But it was by this trans man talking about how going through testosterone, second puberty, he made him come to understand the whole experience of why men are always so freaking hot. Like why, why guys can walk around in winter with just shorts on. Because all the heat is just flowing through there and it actually makes you too hot. And, yeah. and I can relate to that from my own experience, too. But I hadn't really thought about it until I read that thread about the way that, like... And then going the opposite direction, you have trans women who suddenly start freezing everywhere. And and then we have the whole, like, uh, the, a year or two ago, there was a thread. There were multiple... No, not a thread. It was an article. Multiple articles about how offices are always so frigid because the thermostats are set based upon the male it's, expectations for yeah. a comfortable environment. And men run hotter. A lot of this list is almost exactly the opposite of what's on the other list. That's fun. Yeah, come to think of it, the temperature in our house is, has changed a bit the last month or two. Because I've just been <laughs> hot all the time everywhere. Huh? I'm just like, and I thought it was like, I'm sitting here at this desk with this my new stream PC that we just got in the last, built in the last little while. My son built it. I'm very proud of him. He like ordered the parts and did the whole thing and... With, nice. some su- with some supervision from the software engineer wife who's built plenty of PCs. He's the one who did the stuff and the temperature glue thing. I don't know. <laughs> I watched it happen. The thermal bit. paste. That's right. Thermal paste. That's the right word. Not temperature glue. But yeah, I thought it was just the PCs in the room and it's hot there's all these lights. But yes, the space is hot. But I think in general, I am also just warmer. Mm-hmm. all the time everywhere so it's really affirming to see that on this cool list of things changes in perspiration sweating more yeah also body odor oh my gosh my smells are changing <laughs> and it's super weird i'm like what does that smell it's me oh yes. no the most poignant piece of i don't know if you've heard of this video game tell me why which is the first triple a studio video game that's about yeah. yes the most poignant line from that whole game for me was when the main character, the trans man, says to his sister, like, men stink. Like, going through puberty, like, men stink. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. Body hair everywhere. That's been happening. Yep. That's, that is a literal quote from the, the Google document that they, that they wrote for me. Yeah, I've been noticing it growing not just on my face, but other places now, too. Oh, look, you even mentioned minoxidil. That's cool. I think it's spelled wrong. I think it's M-I-N, minoxidil. You are probably right about that. 
just because I think it down. There you go. Because so, it's minox r slash minox beards is the the Reddit that not bears. That's hilarious. Minox beards. <laughs> That's the gay men who do them, the Minox beards. Yeah, Minox beards is, you can actually see people using minoxidil to stimulate more facial hair growth. And you can see mm -hmm. like timeline pictures on there and how it looks and how it dense, densifies or whatever. Anyways, that's part of the, the mysteries that were imparted to me from one of my trans masculine friends. Cause I was <laughs> like, how do I do any of this? I don't know. I'm, I love my little my little brain trust of testosterone taking beings that yes tells me things about what's happening with my body. I'm like, is this normal? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful for them all. Male pattern baldness. I like have concerns about this being a thing that happens. Doesn't everyone. Yeah. Cause I have a lot of pride in my hair. It's very fancy. And I see the way my dad looks at me and looks at my hair and I'm like, Oh no. One day, <laughs> one day I'll have your hair instead of my hair because we're related. Anyway, supposedly that comes from the long. supposedly that comes from the mother's side of the family. So you should be looking at your grandfather. My mom's dad. Yeah, he's got it too. Yeah, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'll be putting minoxidil on my head forever. Thicker and oilier skin. That's something we've been talking about too. My wife and I talk all the time about how her skin got thinner on estrogen. Mm -hmm. And she's, I already mentioned she's done martial arts stuff. And so one time I remember she was trying to break down boxes in the recycling bin and she was like pumping <laughs> them in the bin because that's what she decided to do. And she like cut her knuckles open. Oh. She was, she was like in guy mode, this would have never happened. Mm -hmm. But because now her skin is thinner on HRT, it's happening. So yes, the thicker, oilier skin. Yeah. Acne tends to be a problem. Yes. I'm glad that it improves after the first few years. Cause oh my glob, it's a whole time right now. It's, it's happening all over. I was hoping if the beard grew in, I would just stop having acne. And I don't know why I thought that would be real. No, it's not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, I don't know if this is in here, but I feel like all of my skin has to shed a layer. Like I had a whole rash on my face for a while and like stuff is just happening. I'm like a snake right now. There's a whole shedding thing. That's, that's not in there, but that would be a good thing to add. I, I want to get like more corroboration on that, but yeah, I can see how that would happen because yeah. the thicker skin is coming in and that's pushing the older skin out. Yeah. Larger hands or feet. Wait, what? I had this no is idea. over long, this is over long periods of time. Three to five years. And, and the opposite nails. happens as well. My hands have shrunk significantly. Really? My wife's been on estrogen for like six years and she still has giant mittens. Oh. Yeah. I like now, I, I used to be able to wrap my hand or my entire hand around my wife's fist and mm -hmm. hold it all in there. And now we are almost a perfect match. I sincerely doubt that will ever happen, even though we're both on the opposite hormones as each other. Yeah. But it's, it's very conditional. It happens. It really depends. Bones though. How do you get bones to do that? It's the space between the bones change. You oh. get more, more fluid between the, the joints uh -huh. and the cartilage and such swells. And that causes the overall hand size to the, the finger length Fascinating. to increase. That is so fascinating. Thicker and stronger nails, increased muscle mass, fat redistribution, 
Estrogen encourages the body to deposit fats in the thighs, buttocks, and hips. Androgens largely into the abdomen. So T will push all your fat into your stomach, into your belly. That's cool. Yeah. Facial, facial feature changes. Also the neck. Testosterone encourages fat deposits in the neck. So this right here that I've got going on? Yep. And also the base of the neck, too, like where it meets the shoulders, that all flows out. Interesting. Increased tolerance of caffeine, alcohol, and psychotropics. Oh, I had, I didn't know about that. You hear about men versus women and drinking or something, but... Yeah. I didn't realize that was HRT-related. I thought it was more social. Well, it isn't so much the hormone itself as the increased mass that comes from being on testosterone. You have more muscles... You have mm. different fat distributions. You have just the blood flow changes, like the, the heart rate increases slightly. So like the metabolism itself is just able to absorb other substances better. Gotcha. That explains why there were guys that would get super mega cold brew, uncut, give me all the mm -hmm. caffeine people. And I was like, you're going to have a heart attack and die. Slow down, bro. It was, wow. It was there was one I saw where, where somebody ordered ordered a, a latte with 42 shots of espresso in it. And people are like, you are going to kill yourself. This is a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's 10 quads and then a double. Yeah. <laughs> There's not even room for milk in that cup. That's not a latte. That's I think just they, put a, it, they put it in a Trenta. Yeah, that's just whatever a dopio is, except 42 in Italian. Topio espresso. Wow. Mental changes. And you talk about ADHD, emotional expansion for This is the depersonalization people? disappearing. It's different. It's a different kind of emotional expansion. Okay. I need to know more about this. The ability to express may be reduced. So you may experience more emotion, but then you still don't express it? It's... There's a lot of people who report that... They lose the ability to cry. Yeah. Like, like the body just, the, the, the function disappears. Mm -hmm. But because the depersonalization and the derealization is lifted, the emotions that were previously being heavy suppressed, they're able to experience them more clearly. Now, you also have the counter problem of toxic masculinity telling people to suppress those emotions and that can play a role in also keeping them held down. And you have a cultural factor of growing up AFAB where society tells women never to cry because it's a sign of weakness. So you end up with people crying in the bathroom instead. So you have all these factors that are suppressing a lot of this stuff, a lot of social factors as well. But there are still several people who have told me, yes, when I started testosterone, I became more emotionally expressive. Do you talk about increased anger? Because that's something that I've really recognized, especially in the first month or two, was like, I was just irritable and angry all the time. It's calmed I down a little think... bit since then, but it was really intense in the beginning. And I was like, is it always going to be like this? Because if so, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, so intense. I might have deliberately left that out because I didn't want to... I, I was trying to avoid that, that sort of it's a sexist trope that testosterone makes people angry. Like, like that idea that all men are raging because of testosterone. I was trying to avoid that idea. So I may have left that piece out. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look at it again. 
But yes, that was reported to me that for the first few months, you do have just this rage at the drop of a hat. Yeah, it was affirming for me to hear from other transmasculine people that yes, that's a thing and it passes. Like, yes. Like I really needed to know that was a thing that that became not a thing later, that it levels oh, out Oh, here later. it is. I did mention it. Emotional dysregulation occurs the most commonly before and immediately after dosing and results in reduced patience and incre- increased aggression. But I should also mention that, that becomes less of an effect over time. I'm writing it down for later. Okay. Fascinating. Increased appetite, eating capacity, sleep, confidence, extroversion. That all totally makes sense to me. And then genital changes, bottom growth. One to three inches is common. Wow. One to three inches, like additional to what you already have going on. That's wild. Huh. Is a hypospadia's penis a trans woman penis? Uh, like on HRT for a while and it's had some changes specifically I believe this is talking more about intersex conditions where scenarios where the genitals just don't fully develop into a, a, a full penis there's several different protein chains that are involved in that as well as various factors with testosterone that can have an effect on just how strongly the, the genitals masculinize and there are situations where those don't produce enough it's actually all tied into 5-alpha-8, or 5-alpha reductase, is that it? I think I'm getting that that word wrong. I mentioned it somewhere on here. But there's a fascinating condition. There's actually an entire tribe of people in South Africa or something where fairly regularly they'll have children born who appear to be females, and then when they hit puberty, suddenly they grow a dick and the scrotum pops out. Huh. And it, it's a specific genetic trait that happens in that community it has to do with the 5-alpha reductase processing. It's reduced in function until puberty. Interesting. I appreciate the tweets you have on the side here with trans-masculine people reporting on what it's like being on T. And you also talk about atrophy. Destructive being become... Do you talk about, like, getting more dry? Because that is a thing that I've been experiencing that I was surprised by. I had to ask my doctor, I was like, What's going on? It does look like I need to cover that. I thought I had mentioned dryness, but no, apparently not. That, yeah, that was something I did not expect. Oh, here we go. Self-lubrication may reduce substantially, and over time, penetration may become painful. So, yes, I did mention it. Yeah, cessation of menstruation. That'd be cool. I have an IUD, and my doctor was telling me when I... Sometimes trans men will use IUDs to treat dysphoria around menstruation. But I, I've noticed it's the menstruation is even more controlled now that I'm on T and have the IUD. Like the two of them working together is having more impact than just one or the other. I think yeah. that makes sense. This is cool. Thanks for spending extra time on this particular topic because it is my special <laughs> interest. <laughs> and this page wasn't published yet when I was hoping it existed the first time, so that's cool. So then you have estrogenic second puberty one hundred one breast growth, skin softening, increased flexibility. Oh, that's interesting. Slimmer hands and wrists, smaller feet, thinning and softening fingernails. Yeah, I have hair. a picture there of my hands so you can see what uh, what difference it did have. Oh, your hand on the right there, that totally, my brain reads that as trans woman hand for sure. Those hands look just <laughs> like my wife's hands. 
I wonder if her hands have gotten smaller and she hasn't realized it. The reason I noticed it is because my ring size went down. Okay. And because I had my wife's hand as my wife's fist as a measuring gauge because her hands have not changed. Fascinating. Yep. Body temperature stuff, perspiration patterns, body odor, reduced muscle mass, fat redistribution, facial features, changes to scalp hair. Ooh. Do you talk about it getting curlier? I think I did. Yep. Interior that was a surprise tilt. for me. It was for Capybara as well. And she loves her curly hair. She like goes to the curly girl too. salon and does all the curly things. And I'm like. It's so expensive though. It is. Yeah. And I'm like, you go girl. <laughs> You're a software engineer. So you can afford to go get curly girl hair thing. Like. Oh my I just, God. I just tell her every day how pretty and hot she is. That's just. She I've, just gets prettier every day. It's so great. I love it's like, it. I need to go get a, a curly girl cut too, but it's like the place here that does it is like $200. I'm like, no, I don't, I can't spend that right now. I hear that. Mood swings, appetite, sleep, extroversion, sensory enhancements. Oh, that's interesting. Improved sense of smell, color perception, spatial awareness. Do you think this is again because of repersonalization instead of depersonalization? Yes, that is some of the factor in it. Another piece of it, I think it might actually be an evolutionary trait. I think that, that as a species, it is important for the maternal role to, to be able to protect the children better. And mm -hmm. so having a sense, increased sense of smell and colors and things like that has a factor. The spatial awareness, though, that is definitely repersonalization. That is just the body finally fitting what your brain is expecting it to be. So you're actually... Your your prior pure I can never get this word right. Prior precipitation actually uh, corrects itself. Oh, that's cool. That's um, the uh, the sense where your body is in in space. When I think of repersonalization, I think of the scene in Peter Pan where Peter is chasing his shadow around the room, and he catches mm. it and he stitches it back onto his foot so it like reintegrates <laughs> with him. I can't tell you how many times I've thought of that little scene in my head in the last year. Genital changes, increased sensitivity, moisture and feminine odor, color and texture changes, fewer erections, clear ejaculate, testicle atrophy. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> like they can get small enough. They hide up in your body cavity. And yep. You don't even have them out at all. And it friggin' hurts sometimes. Yes. That is what I've heard. Heightened erogenous zones, orgasm, attraction, cyclical period like symptoms now is this with one of the hrt like progesterone or something or is that progesterone definitely thing? makes it progesterone definitely makes it more likely to happen mm -hmm. but it is a factor of it's more like progesterone increases the symptoms so that you actually notice them more mm -hmm. like they're they're this is one of those things that's very highly contested in a lot of trans femme communities okay. because the women who don't experience it often think that everyone else is just making it up. And right. and you get this from cis people too, who believe that, oh, you're, oh, you just have some sort of digestive problem. Like you just ate something bad and you're thinking you have cramping. It's no, I know the difference between an upset stomach and my abdomen spontaneously jerking. Like fundamental differences. And so, and this is something that has not been explored at all in medical science. There's been no research into this. Yeah. Everything that we have about 
the menstrual cycle is based upon assumptions of the presence of a uterus. Mm -hmm. So trying to find out what's actually happening is it's very difficult. And even just getting people to believe it's happening is difficult. So from my observations and from what I've heard from talking to other people who experience this, some people have it before starting progesterone. Some people have it after starting progesterone. Some people get it like right away. Some don't, don't notice it for a year. And in some cases, they'll notice it before. And then when they start progesterone, it suddenly got a whole lot worse. I can tell you it happens regardless of what drugs you are taking. Doesn't matter if you're taking oral estrogen. Doesn't matter if you're taking shots or patches. It doesn't matter if you're cycling your progesterone or not. It is like I have a standard 28-day cycle my shot cycle is five days. So it never lines up with my shots. Like, uh, and, and we've even proven through blood tests that my body is self-regulating my available estrogen levels in, time, in sync with my cycle. So if I get a blood test on day one, I will have lower estrogen levels than I will if I get it on day 21. Like there is some amazing stuff happening there. And I actually want to write a full page just on this topic because the science behind it is extraordinary. But it's also something that is regularly doubted in a lot of circles. So cool. And then the last page you have is your conclusion. Which is just reinforcing that everybody is valid. Yay. Everybody is so heckin' valid. I love it. Also this art is so good. I'm going to have to get the link for the artist from you at some point. All right. I have a handful of other questions, but I guess before I ask any of those, is there anything that you like want to make sure you say or that you wanted to say on any of these pages that we glossed over or? The biggest thing I think, the, the thing I struggle with the most with a lot of activism and engaging in in the trans social sphere is people have a tendency to assume the worst. And there's a lot of cases where I've been basically, there's a thing that, that was talked about a few months ago about how every major person, every major trans activist on social media is afraid of their own followers because at any moment, someone can misunderstand what you're saying or not stop to think about what you actually mean or not give you the chance to fully explain yourself and jump to a completely false conclusion about what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so I've had people label me as a transmedicalist. I'm not. I absolutely despise transmedicalist ideas. I've had people label me as gender essentialist. I'm very much am not. In all of these scenarios, it's because they didn't bother to fully read what I wrote. So that's the piece that I really want people to understand about the Gender Dysphoria Bible is if you haven't read all of it, please don't assume bad intent. Because odds are the thing you're upset about is either going to be mentioned or is something that should be highlighted. The page on re recently somebody opened an issue on GitHub about the page on the cause of incongruence and how they felt that was invalidating for non-binary identities because the focus on this was a very binary-centric position. They're not wrong. There are I could probably explain much clearer on there that we don't have any scientific information to base on for what is going on inside non-binary brains. 
And, and then we don't know that we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And we're just guessing. We're throwing darts in the dark and hoping that we find answers for things that we don't understand. There's also a strong movement in certain circles of the trans community to say we shouldn't be trying to understand this stuff because it might be used to invalidate us. That's the same kind of logic that we get from transphobes about why we shouldn't be allowed in bathrooms because there might be a man there that takes advantage of it. There are so many things that that people get upset about because all of us are have trauma. All of us have triggers. Many times our traumas conflict with each other. So that what is one person's euphoria is another person's dysphoria. And tempers flare really easily because most of us are teenagers, <laughs> mentally at least. Mm-hmm. So that that's the piece that I just really want people to understand is I'm trying to make this thing as acceptable and affirming to as many people as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to take me, to give me that benefit of the doubt when they read it. I think the part where it's a living document is important, and I applaud that you acknowledge there's missing narratives here. Yeah. This isn't all the things, at least not currently, and, you know, that you're it is open source and you are open to that additional information and input. I think that's really cool. Although there have also been occasions when people have told me, hey, you should change this thing because it's invalidating or it's leaving something out. And I've looked at it and said, no, your understanding of this is wrong. Oh, what was it? There was an issue that I actually, I closed and I locked it because I was like, I want no discourse on this topic. Oh, it was, they were trying to gatekeep Femme and Butch. It was like like saying that, that it was inappropriate to refer to, oh, the terms Femme, AFAB, and uh, and such because and, and the paragraph they were specifically referring to was about butch and femme presentation and they said that i shouldn't use that because it inherently implies lesbians and i was like no those words are not exclusive to lesbians they haven't been for a long time mm-hmm. and i was like i don't want i don't want this in this this yeah. is not a discourse we should be approaching yeah so obviously this resource is useful for trans people who else might this resource be useful for? I've received multiple messages from parents telling me that they've found the site extremely useful in trying to understand their trans children mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to understand what their experience is. Because, uh, and that's what the introduction is presenting is this idea that this is to show people what it's like to be trans mm-hmm. because so many people don't understand it. And that's the main focus of the site, is just to teach people what it means to be trans. Yeah. Because knowledge is very powerful. And suppressing that knowledge is what's kept many of us in the closet. Yeah. I We actually just made a, in the Discord server, we made a channel for the parents of trans people your trans kid doesn't have to be a child they can be an adult trans person but that's true for the the parents to work it out so it's like it's almost like we made our little p flag or whatever but because there's a very unique experience that parents of trans people go through there's like a whole grieving process and then some that they have to Mm -hmm. go through and it's tiring for me as a trans person to hear those narratives and to support those people through it those cis people through it And so my mom was on the show a while back and she actually shared a lot about her experience. And we had talked about it ahead of time and decided what we wanted to share and it went really well. And so we actually have that as a resource in our community on Discord is if you want to 
talk to other parents about what this has come to this spot and talk to other parents who want to talk about it. And so right now there's two parents who seems like they're pretty good with their trans kids who are around for folks who are just figuring it out. Now, the thing is, the people who are of the age that you're going to have offspring, kid or adult, that are doing this are not really on Discord. So we're trying to figure out yeah. the, face, the, face, <laughs> the Facebook community version. It's like me being like, oh, no, GitHub, how do I do this thing? We have a Facebook thing, but I'm running into an issue with it and I have to reconfigure it. But anyway, we're working on having that community for parents of of trans people so they can sort themselves out with each other and support each other. Yeah. And it's very important for those sorts of spaces to be at least trans administrated, if not trans led, because Mm -hmm. otherwise you get things like the trans widow groups where it's all just, yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like the, the, so much just weeping and gnashing of teeth over what their partner's transition has cost them. I'd never heard the phrase trans widow, but I knew what it meant immediately. That's, mm-hmm. that's such a succinct description of that whole energetic, emotional category mm. of things that happen. Thanks <laughs> thanks for that word. I um, wish I, I could say I coined it because I did not. So you've talked a little bit about some of the challenges you've had, but are there any other challenges that you have faced while creating and maintaining this document you want, wanted to mention, or do you feel complete on that question? Let me think. I do have to say I'm extremely appreciative of my Patreon supporters and also the people who have sent me money through coffee. It's just that just knowing that people care is so rewarding and knowing and almost every single time somebody subs, there, there's a message saying how much the site has meant for them, how much it has helped their lives. And that really makes it feel like I'm accomplishing something with this. It, it It's very rewarding. And, and it fires me up to want to continue to tribute to it because it's, I do want this to be, I, I don't want it to be a definitive all things trans source. I don't think I can do that, nor should I try to, mm-hmm. but I do want this to be a, a, a good resource for people who are questioning and people whose family members are questioning or are transitioning, like just to get people to understand what this is like and to help normalize it. Yeah. But yeah, having that financial support has been so beneficial and so helpful. And it makes sure that I don't have to worry about the hosting costs of it. The hosting costs aren't huge, but they do scale up as the site gets more attention. Yeah. And as I add more functionality to it. And it is comforting to know that I'm not having to foot that bill completely. Yeah, totally. I don't know if you know this or have connected this, but I actually sent you money on Ko-Fi couple months back once i think it was like did three you bucks. i did yeah <laughs> I, I probably you know a message. I, if you go back and look maybe you'll see it and put it together i later, probably but, will and i don't know if it's with my gender master name or with my wallet name so that might also be well that's I, the thing is i the names on these things are so unreliable because half the time they're wrong <laughs> yeah, totally trans money passing if you see someone's dead name and you immediately forget it nope yes you got to put eat, on blinders eat it out of your brain Oh, don't even get me started on how hard it is to change your name on PayPal. You know, I seem to have had been a very large exception in that because I had no problem at all. Yeah. Like, I just, I did one form, and then a week later, they told me it was updated. That's great. I was like, really? I'm I was expecting was this to be an... Uh, I was expecting it to be an actual nightmare, and it I wasn't. I had to make a whole new account for me. Yeah, that's what a lot of people have to do. 
I don't know why what I did worked so well. Maybe just because, I don't know, maybe because I waited to do it until after I had my legal name changed through. I don't know. How has the trans and non-binary community received the creation of this resource? And maybe you already feel like you answered that, but maybe that's uh, a second I have, answer. but it's worth reinforcing again. The There has been a tremendous outpouring of support and love, and it, it really feels great to see how much it's helping people. And I'll suggest the sheer volume of eggs that this site has cracked is astonishing. I've joked with people that uh, if if egg cracking produced uh, a financial investment, this would be my long-term uh, mutuary, like rewarding so much. But that's not why I do it, of course. It's half not why I do it. But it is, yeah, it feels great. It feels great to see so many people love this site. and And it's one of those things that like, when I initially wrote it, I was like, am I just talking on my ass for most of this? Do I, am I, so much of it was writing from my own experience. And it's, is my experience relatable enough that people will appreciate this? And so to hear from so many people saying, yes, this is absolutely re reinforcing is, it, it feels pretty good. There have been a few naysayers, mostly it's people that like you talk to them and you find out that they didn't actually read all of it. Like yeah. they'll read like yeah, yeah, the first yeah. paragraph or even just the title headings and they'll jump to conclusions about what it says. Yeah. Surprisingly, I haven't had much transphobic response. I don't know. I keep checking Kiwi Farms to see if they'll notice me and they haven't. And that surprises me. Not I that I want them to. I is, really don't want them to. Which is great. Oh, me. you don't? You're better off not knowing. The site's or the internet's doxing platform. Oof. Yeah. Gross not ideal i it's really just supposed to be a forum but that's basically what it's become like mom's net gotcha so one question i came up with last night is have you ever considered exploring the intersections of plurality and gender related experiences on you know i was actually this? i was going to mention that and then i forgot it yeah this is one of the problems with the physical like trying to to make any correlations of physical brain structure with gender because when you have people who are plural, that changes everything. Because plurals can have multiple genders. Yep. That even on totally opposite sides of the sexual spectrum. And there's no physical explanation for that. Absolutely. And there's plenty of psychological reasons for it. But it's, it is not something... It's... The problem is that it's a difficult topic to talk about because in order to properly field it, you have to also understand the nuances of plurality, and a lot of people don't. Yeah. So I, this is ep when this goes live, this will be episode 23 of this talk show, and four of those 23 episodes have been about plurality. And I did not set out to start talking about plurality and learning about it and being <laughs> a platform for it. And so far it's been about once a month, somebody comes on the show and that's what we end up talking about. And I, I have a fifth person queued up for the next, for some time in August, I think. And I didn't expect that at all, but it's totally happened. So if you are interested in contributors to a page in here about plurality, I have two, at least two systems in mind, plus all the guests. And I also posted in our little chat here on the, in our show notes in discord, the height, the playlist for my I've made a playlist of the genderful talk show episodes that are also about plurality there's like a sub playlist there's the one that's all nice. the episodes and there's a second one that's the plurality episodes because it's it's almost like I'm doing two shows but we still talk about gender and it's funny too and it's something that should be covered on the bible because 
plurality is so common in the trans community. I mean, it happens because people are forced to repress themselves. That is what creates a dissociative identity. And almost all of us have had to do that. So it is so incredibly common. So I just wrote that there are two two folks in particular who I think have some very deep scholarly broad knowledge that I wrote down and I'm not going to say them out loud because I don't want to dox or out people and both of those folks have been on the show at different times and have shared things I've had other guests who it's how there's like trans people who are just trans people and then there's trans people who are gender experts (laughs) yeah it's I think it's the same with plurality there's plural folks plural systems who are experts on the topic and there are plural systems who just exist and happen to be plural Mm-hmm. And so the the two folks I sent you, I think, are more, they've done a lot of research. They can talk about a lot of different pieces. And yeah, it's been really, it's been really interesting to have those conversations with folks. And recently, even I was learning about other kin and all these things. And I was like, wait, this isn't just a thing in my brain tucked away way over here. Like <laughs> other people have heard of this or have this experience. Yes. It's It's just, there's so much egg cracking. We have an entire, I should really make a new category for just the egg cracking conversations because we have five different channels now for folks who are exploring like gender, sexuality, neurodiversity, disability, and plurality. And it's just yes. like, everyone is realizing that all these things they didn't realize they were. And it's so cool and rewarding. And we joke about renaming the Discord server to uh, Meowster's Hatchery instead of Meowster's Clowder. <laughs> a clowder is a group of cats and you know, there's a lot of cat themed stuff going on, but like Meowster's Hatchery is, is the running joke lately with the, yep. all the mods and the mod chat. <laughs> just like, whose egg are we going to crack today? That's cool, though. That's part of why this talk show is so rewarding is we talk about things that is absolutely not covered in mainstream media and then people discover themselves. And that's Mm -hmm. why that's the whole reason we do this is so people can find themselves. And one of the things that that is related to this, both I've experienced this for gender, I've experienced it for ADHD and autism, and I've experienced it for plurality, that when you try to talk to people who also experience these things but think they don't, they tend to be very invalidating because they think that everyone is like that. Like like trying to talk to my mother about my ADHD, she was like, oh, no, like describing the symptoms. And she says, oh, everyone has that problem. I have that problem. I'm like, yeah, mom, that's because you have ADHD and you just never treated any of it. Like, it's so much resistance comes from people not understanding these things. And yeah, talking about plurality, talking to people... And, and explaining what it feels like and then going, well, I have that. I'm like, that tells you something. Yeah. One of, one of the guests on the show previously said, if all your friends are trans, if all yeah, your friends yeah. are plural, you might be trans and plural. Very much. Okay. I have four questions left and they, they're probably going to be shorter than everything else. Um, <laughs> one, one is fluffy and fun which is can you share a moment of gender euphoria from your life i just like to ask trans people this question because i like hearing the stories of feeling affirmed it's a nice thing to have towards the end of the show after everything Uh, oh i know i have so many stories like this and trying to remember one is just it it fleets out of my brain if you'd like i can tell my example yeah give me a prompt so i in the last year i have discovered that there is a, a beta feature in zoom where you can actually put a beard filter on your face it, there's also nice. makeup filters too you can do lipstick and you can change your eyebrow shape and all the stuff but 
So I, I have my Zoom beard turned on, and every time I turn on Zoom, I forget it's there because I in in <laughs> Twitch when I'm doing my Twitch show or YouTube or whatever, I don't have a beard. I don't have that filter on, and so I see a video of myself all the time when I'm working. And then when I go to my stuff that I do on Zoom. I all of a sudden have a beard and I just, I grin every time because I forget. And then there it is. And I'm like, Hey, it's the real me. Hi, real me. <laughs> i really happy every time. And my friends have gotten to realize this. And so they watch for me to come into the gatherings and turn on the camera and they giggle every time at how like happy I am. They giggle, mm -hmm. not to make fun of, just giggle like they're happy for me. It's really, yeah. It's, it's oh yeah. Event. It's, it's compersion. Totally. It's, it's Gender compression. Um, Did you come up with that phrase? I don't think I came up with it, but I definitely not. I don't know. <laughs> I did the first time I heard, read about what compersion is. I was like, oh, that's what I've been feeling for other people's transitions. It does fit. You um, enjoy at other people's joy. That's what it is. I do. I do, and I feel pain at other people's pain too. I'm very much an empath. Yeah. Sure. So, one story I thought of. So I mentioned earlier. That in 2017, I was in a car accident because my uh, Spiro had screwed up my, my working memory. And that meant that I was very inattentive. And I failed to notice a car coming when I pulled out of a drive out of a parking lot. And of course, in the aftermath of that, we're, we're getting out and we're exchanging our information. And I was in a tunic and a skirt. And this was, this would have been six months into my transition, maybe. And we were leaving my therapist. So I was presenting as myself. And we start exchanging information and the woman takes my driver's license and she looks at it and she looks up at me and she says, is this you? And I was like, yeah, unfortunately that's me. And she's, she didn't believe me that it was the same person. And this she was only just, six months in. She thought you conveniently had a fake ID in your wallet for car accidents? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> like just wow. the fact that in those six months I had changed so much that she did not recognize me as a man. Like she mm -hmm. thought I was a woman. And she was right. But yeah, just the fact that that moment, it was like horrible traumatic experience of a car accident. But in the middle of that was a tiny bit of gender euphoria. <laughs> wow. That's quite a story. Thanks for sharing. All right. So this is the resource question I ask everyone. And we spent all day talking about a resource. But are there any other resources that you would recommend for non-binary and trans individuals or allies? So we have the Gender Dysphoria Bible. I also like to put my link tree in there so people can come join the Discord or see the content in the different ways. If you like listening only or YouTube or whatever works for your brain and your situation to engage with the content and the community. But are there anything besides those two resources you'd like to share with folks? I will have to self-plug my Facebook page. It's mm -hmm. uh, Curvy and Trans on Facebook. I do post a lot of topics there. It's like a, a curated gender list but it also gets into autism and adhd topics a lot but it's i post a lot of things that i see on twitter i post things that i see from other accounts and I, I do try to be very focused on like i take a lot of pride in the way that i'll always try to make sure that i have text versions of anything that's in images and stuff like that i try to focus very much on making it disabled friendly but it's just a whole variety of gender related topics some of it is memes and shit posts some of Yay. it is informative posts, but and from there, you can find a lot of other people that I, I very much am in awe of. Neurodivergent Rebel, I think is the page name. Yeah, they that's are. A great, that's a great page too. 
Oh, it's a fantastic page. I mentioned Transethics before is another really great content creator. I have really loved the work that Abigail has produ- been producing under Philosophy Tube lately. Ever since she came out, that has just been a plethora of amazing knowledge. That's all that is on the top of my head. Is Transethics mostly on Twitter? She's on Twitter and Facebook and might have an Instagram too. I'm not sure. And it's one word, Transethics. Cool. Awesome. Okay. And then I have all sorts of things listed, all the hyperlinks from all the things on all the websites. <laughs> I have all I, I have a very I have a very broad social media presence. <laughs> That's great. Would you be curvy and trans if you weren't broad? Nice. I love all the meanings in that. The curvy broad meaning and the trans broad meaning. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. There's my jam. I like it. So for folks listening along at home, the wonderful Jocelyn is on Patreon, Ko-Fi, Venmo, Twitter, GitHub, blog, has a blog, curvyandtrans.com, a Facebook page we just discussed, Instagram, and when we give you money, you write things and pay hosting fees and make this resource exist and be more awesome. That's the goal. Yeah, it's so great. I love it so much. So all of this information will be in the show notes for folks watching or listening along later. Please do go drop the follows and the likes and send the monies. Even $3 with a thoughtful note will make Jocelyn's day. It will indeed. Yay. So my very final question that I have for you is, what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? I recognize that because I have a binary identity, I recognize that I have blind spots and I try very hard to illuminate those blind spots, but sometimes I make mistakes. And that's really just, that's the, the, the crux of it is understand that I am trying (laughs) and, uh, and I think I do fairly well, all things considered, but I also, I'm aware of my privilege in a lot of ways. And I, I try to counteract that as much as I can. And that's my position is intersectionality. And the great news is you're this resource, the gender dysphoria.fyi, the gender dysphoria Bible is a living document and you're open to collaborators and contributors. And it's not just the Jocelyn show. You're like a, you're like a shepherd herding a bunch of <laughs> autistic trans cat. So I, I will joyfully try to do my part to contribute and add some non-binary perspectives to this incredible body of work you've already created and invite my friends to do so too, because no one non-binary person is a monolith of all non-binary people. Exactly. Ooh. And I will also like to say that if whoever owns genderdysphoria.com happens to hear this, please reach out to me. You're not using that domain. I'd really like to have it. Hey. We could do a GoFundMe for it if we need to. Oh, God, it'd go like $6,000. It's ridiculous. Maybe they just need the money so that they can go have gender-affirming care, which is okay <laughs> with me. Hopefully. It's like, Hopefully. pay for my top surgery, and I'll give you this website. It's like, all right, crowdfund for your top surgery so we can have the website. Thank you so much for being here today, Jocelyn. This has been an incredible conversation. I have enjoyed every moment of it, and I imagine you would like to stop sitting in a closet now.
and go have lunch. <laughs> yes, and, and go have lunch. My wife has been very <laughs> ansily waiting for me to come make food. Well, thanks. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you. And if you do have time to watch this when it goes live, I'm sure the community would love to tell you how awesome you are for three hours. I will absolutely endeavor to be there. And thank you very much for having me on. Yay. It's been a pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Bye.